Wednesday morning. This is your town. This is your station. This is Waitley. Good morning. Welcome to the show. Julian DeStoop sitting in for Jared Waitley as we're just over a week now until SEN Test Cricket gets underway over in Perth for the first test between Australia and Pakistan. But Pakistan are in action today against the Prime Minister's eleven, which is a big match for several of the Australians, particularly the three that are looking to take that opening spot when David Warner's time is up. Cam Bancroft, Matt Renshaw and Marcus Harris. Uh, so we'll hopefully get up and uh, speak to someone who's covering that game. Uh, first ball at 10.30 this afternoon. Also on the McCafe menu very shortly in about five minutes' time, we're going to chat to uh, News Corp cricket writer Ben Horn. He's written a couple of interesting pieces in the last couple of days. One about the whole situation with Mitch Johnson, David Warner and George Bailey. And one about the BBL and particularly uh, how the competition and maybe the summer, if the Test Series is not that uh, competitive, that uh, Glenn Maxwell really needs to light it up uh, for the Melbourne Stars. We're going to get over to the stage. Brandon Rabar, who covers the OKC Thunder. Of course, been a big couple of weeks for Josh Giddy, uh, just to get the feel on the ground over there. Andrew Voss, as we talk the divide between Melbourne and Sydney after 10. We're going to talk some the world of football as well with Daniel Garb at 11. Probably get up to Cathedral as well, the Cathedral Invitational on today. So Andy and Gazy will be on from Cathedral at twelve between twelve and three, and then in their regular uh, run home spot, three to five thirty, it'll be Cam Luke and also David King. So it should be a great day's golf with some of the biggest names in Australian golf uh, playing up at Cathedral. But last week, Jared Waitley listed his top ten most significant moments in Australian sport for twenty twenty three. The Matildas semi final run at the World Cup took home the gold medal. The Australian men's cricket team World Cup triumph won the silver, and Collingwood's sixteenth premiership claimed the bronze medal. The Matildas on Friday were awarded the Don Award by the Australian Sports Hall of Fame, which is for the team or individual that inspires a nation through their performances. But today I want to know who has been the Australian Sports Coach of the Year. And hopefully by the end of the show we can maybe narrow it down to a top three because there's a lot of contenders. So they don't necessarily have to be Australian. So the criteria is they're eligible if they have coached an Australian national team or coached in an Australian domestic competition. Also eligible, Australian coaches plying their trade overseas, whether in a team sport or an individual sport. So give us a call, 1-300-736-736, or fire us through a temper text, 0433-98-1116. Temper, a mattress like no other. Let us know who your best coach in Australian sport is has been this year. So I've got a list of about 10 that would be in the running. So just the first one I can see here off the 40 wings temper. Craig Stasevich wins best coach by a street. Loses the grand final last year, then loses the equivalent of a Brownlow medalist, a Coleman medalist, and an All-Australian Ford. Gets written off by everyone, finishes fourth after the home and away season, and wins the flag. Daylight is second. So, yeah, I definitely had Craig Stasevich on the list for all those reasons listed. So 10 wins, three losses across the season, uh, AFLW regular season and the finals. And I think the key point there is the three gun plays he lost in the offseason that he was managed to cover very, very well. So, yep, there's one nomination. I won't go through the ones I've got on my paper. I'd love you to tell me who you think should be in the running. And then by the end of the show, we will try 
and uh, rank it into a top three, a three, two, and one. Uh, let's get to the phones. David in Mernd is going to kick us off with a nomination. G'day, Dave. G'day, Jules. Good to uh, be chatting with you. You Look, too, uh, mate. I reckon it's quite easy to um, pick this one out, um, and it's in an Australian domestic sport. It has to be Ivan Cleary from the Penrith Panthers. Um, just what he was able to achieve. Also, he, he kept his calm through that grand final, and his son, we all know what happened there. So... Uh, would have to be number one, Ivan Cleary. Great nomination, David. Yeah, certainly had him on my list. Uh, and he can thank his son for a big part of it. It was one of the most extraordinary individual performances we've seen in a grand final in any sport in Australia by Nathan Cleary. But yeah, 21 wins, six losses across the NRL regular season and the final series. Uh, another premiership, but I think it's the fact three premierships in a row. The first time it's happened in 40 years. In the NRL, uh, the NRL, like the AFL, is a very, very even competition. So to win three in a row, he is definitely in the mix. I'll get Andrew Voss's opinion on this as well uh, after 10 o'clock. I would have thought he'd be pretty big on the Ivan Cleary being uh, right up there. Thank you, David, for kicking us off. Let's get to Andrew in Nidri, who's got a nomination for us. Get Andrew. Uh, good morning, Jules, and uh, well done with your gig. Um, now, uh, Andrew... And from Tottenham, mm-hmm. has to be. and and now they're talking about him taking over Manchester City uh, <laughs> as a replacement coach for the, their current coach. So well, they're going to get rid of Pep Guardiola. Well, apparently there's talk about it in the um, in the English press, um, but the thing is that um, when he's ready to move on, but the thing is that the toughest league in the world of sport. That's that's at the English Premier League um, for a first-time coach in that competition. So basically, just sitting out of the top four uh, with all the injuries he's got, um, it's a fantastic effort. And I think by the time he's fit, and I think uh, even just by his the standards of any coach. He's done an outstanding job, and I think he should be given the gig. Lovely, Andrew. And let's hope from uh, your sake and my sake, this time next year, Brad Scott's in the running, hey? Uh, Yes. (laughs) That's how we go look at it. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Yeah, we can only hope. We've only been hoping for about 20 years, but uh, hopefully 2024 is uh, plenty of blue skies for the Bombers. Thank you very much for your call, Andrew. Yep, certainly Ange Postacoglu is on the mix. And as we said, the criteria is Australian coaches plying their trade overseas as well, whether that's with a team sport or an individual sport. So I say individual sport there. The nomination hasn't come through there, there yet, but there is an Australian uh, who is coaching an individual in a very big world sport that has done a fantastic job with this individual this year. I won't give it away yet, uh, waiting to hear a nomination. So, yeah, definitely Big Ange is on the list. So three times manager of the month early days in his time at Tottenham, his first three months in charge, unbeaten in his first 10, and also at the start of the year took Celtic to the treble. So it's been a great year for Big Ange. So certainly... Uh, he is in the running. Uh, let's get an early breakaway. We're going to get on to Ben Horn uh, in a second to talk all things cricket. Mitch Johnson fallout. Uh, the Big Bash getting underway tomorrow night. The PM's 11 as well uh, getting underway in Canberra. We'll do that on the other side of the break. This is mornings for Hyundai. The Hyundai 2023 SUV event is on now and host plus. Waitley on SEN.
Welcome back to the show. So much happening in the world of cricket. Uh, the Daily Telegraph cricket writer Ben Horn about to join us. He wrote a, wrote a piece in Code Sports yesterday detailing really the fractures in Australia's 2015 World Cup winning team. But we've got the PM's 11 starting today and also the Big Bash starting tomorrow. So it's a great time to speak to Ben. Morning, Ben. Okay, Julian. How are you going? Very well. Uh, thanks so much for your time. It's been an interesting week in Australian cricket, especially the last uh, 48, 72 hours. Just your overall snapshot on, on the comments from Mitchell Johnson and then I guess uh, his explanations behind, well, partial explanations yesterday as to why he wrote the column. Yeah, look, I mean, it's it's been a pretty explosive story. And, um, you know, look, overall, my reaction is it's it's sad, I think, to see ex-teammates um, who, you know, had so much success together for Australia going at each other in, in the way they have. I mean, obviously, we, we want our commentators to be um, uh, to, to be critical and to have opinions. Uh, certainly, that's what we survive on in the media. Um, so we're certainly not... Uh, there's no criticism. But um, just, I, I guess, um, it's it's been a little bit um, surprising, I suppose, just the personal nature of what's been said. Um, Mitchell did sort of uh, apologise slightly for the personal nature mm. of um, what he'd written in, when he did his podcast yesterday. But, um, yeah, look, there are fractures in that team. Um, Mitchell also had a similar crack at Pat Cummins a couple of years ago. So, look, it's an unfortunate situation, you know, 10 years on from when they were all playing together. And I guess you can only hope in another 10 years, maybe things have smoothed over a bit, but I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. Well, as you say in the piece, there'll be some sort of reunion in just over 12 months time for that 2015 uh, World Cup, which all these uh, combatants played in. Can you see bread being broken at some stage? Or is this something that, uh, given it does seem to be pretty personal from what Mitch Johnson was saying yesterday with some of the texts that he receives that, it's going to be a bit, a bit of an ongoing feud. Well, I was hoping after Mitchell came out very strongly against Pat Cummins and the bowlers a couple of years ago, which was in response to Justin Langer's demise as Australian coach, I was sort of hoping that you know, he might have a bit of a think about what he said at that time and, and try and mend a few bridges, and, and that hasn't happened. So, look, I mean, that doesn't really bode particularly well for things being resolved in the short term, I wouldn't think. But, um, you know, look, who knows? I mean, um, you know, I think certainly for the older generation, um, Shane Warne and Andrew Simons, um, very sad passings was a bit of a reminder of how you can let these things go and, you know, not catch up with each other enough and all of a sudden it's too late. So, you know, hopefully there's a bit of a a realisation along those lines that, um, you know, you don't have to be best mates, but perhaps there's um, there's an opportunity to, you know, um, come together and celebrate what they did achieve all those years ago. Did you think he was a bit unfair, Mitch Johnson, on, on George Bailey? I thought so, yes, definitely. Um, and on David Warner. I mean, his points about David Warner's form, um, I mean, that's entirely debatable, uh, entirely, mm. you know, fair point to, to be raising, but I thought it was wrong to be delving back into the sandpaper gate issue. Um Obviously, you know, fans are going to have their opinion about David Warner, but that's um, yeah, that's never going to dictate what the selectors do. I mean, he did serve a one-year ban. He's still banned from leadership. I'm not sure uh, how much more he's meant to be punished for something that happened five or six years ago. So, yeah, I didn't like that. And I thought, um, yeah, I thought the shot at George Bailey's integrity was also 
uh, was also uncalled for as well. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think that uh, George Bailey's uh, the fact that he was a former teammate of David Warner has anything to do with Warner being in the team at all. So um, I was surprised by by that one. Um, and look, I think George Bailey. Obviously, you know, selectors are always going to make calls that people aren't going to agree with. But I think if you look at his record and Australia's record over the last couple of years, he's done a very fair job. He's done a very good job, absolutely. And we've been talking about um, you know, nominations for Australian Coach of the Year this year, whether it's in domestic competitions or coaching a national team or applying your trade overseas. And certainly Andrew McDonald would have to be uh, in the running for that. Just on Cam Bancroft, I noticed a story on uh, Code Sports this morning with uh, Dan Cherney and Mark Duffield. Just looking at his numbers and he's still not back in the test team yet. Is there potentially any hangover from Sandpaper Gate, maybe some of the comments that he's made would be in any way at all affecting his chances of being selected in the test team? Yeah, look, it's a really interesting question. I mean, it's hard hard to say. Um, I don't think his numbers are that mind-blowing that that's the only conclusion you can draw. Um, You know, sure, he's had a couple of really good seasons in Shield cricket and you know, if Shield cricket is the marker of, you know, who should be the next man up in the test team, then I guess, you know, he's he's doing all he can. But it's, you know, he's not a hard luck story like Brad Hodge was all those years ago or Martin Love or Jamie Cox or anything like that. So, um, and the other thing is Cameron has played 10 or 12 tests already. Um, so they, they've seen what he's done at test level. So it's not like he's a, a young player coming through uh, with you know shield numbers and let's see how he goes at test level. They have had a pretty decent look at him at test level. So, um, you know, it's not a simple question, but yeah, I mean, you can't get away from the fact that there is an awkwardness, I suppose, about um, that issue that still lingers on. And um, yeah, I mean, look, it's, it's, we can only speculate whether that's a factor, but it's it's hard to pinpoint that when I don't think, you know, his numbers are quite at the level where, um, you know, where he can't be ignored. Speaking to Ben Horn, Daily Telegraph cricket writer, it's a it's a big few days coming up for Cam Bancroft and and the others in the mix to replace David Warner whenever David Warner's time ends. I mean, just on this PM eleven game, and as you say, if you look at the numbers of, of Renshaw, Harris, Bancroft's clearly got the best numbers so far this Shield season. How important are their performances in this match for who will get that first opportunity to to open the batting uh, early next year? You would think. I think it's it's important because, you know, even though they will look at their overall um, body of work, I guess, um, you know, these kind of matches, which are sort of like a bat-off, I guess, they do um, put a bit of an extra premium on them in the sense that, um, you know, it is performing under pressure, I suppose. And it's, um, you know, the players know that they're really being looked at. They know that a position's coming up in the lineup in only a few weeks' time. Um and look, if it's if Bancroft, Harris, or Renshaw are going to force their way into this side, I think they they need a hundred in this game because at the moment I think selectors are of the mind, or at least are very tempted to just bring Cameron Green back into David Warner's spot when he retires. And who knows how they'll shuffle the deck chairs from there to make the batting order? But I think they're they're thinking at the moment is that the priority should be getting Cameron Green back in the side rather than um, finding a specialist opener. So 
if one of those three openers wants to force their way into the team, they need a hundred this week. So if it's not if it's not one of the the openers forcing them way this their way into the team, as you mentioned there, and they'd have to reshuffle, who would most likely in the current team go up to open the batting? <laughs> well, I mean, if you look at um I guess the the smallest difference in role, you'd say Marnus Lubbershane. And it was interesting when Andrew McDonald was on with uh, Jared Waitley uh, a week or two ago, he, he definitely made those examples of Justin Langer and David Boone having gone um, from number three to opening the yep. batting. So look, from that point of view, Marnus, but I've just got this feeling that they won't want to mess with Marnus. Um, you know, he's, he's built himself up into being the best player in the world in test cricket from being a number three. And I think it might be a, a little risky to move him when you consider that Usman Khawaja and Steve Smith may not have that much longer in test cricket either. Uh, I think, you know, you would be you would be taking a risk to shuffle Marnus as well. So perhaps it might be a more left field option like Mitchell Marsh or Cameron Green. I know, um, you know, some uh, some smart minds like Greg Chappell, Brad, Brad Haddon, they think that Mitchell Marsh would actually make a good opener he does it in one day cricket and uh particularly against the opposition we've got coming this summer the west indies um you know i I think it'd be a pretty good opportunity for him to go out there and really set the tone for the innings um i I, my gut feel is that you can't move manus and you can't move travis head they're just too important where they are and by the sound of it manus has no interest in moving from number three no that's the impression we are (laughs) yeah That's the impression we've got. I mean, but he is the kind of guy that would answer a call. Um, I mean, the the reason he ended up at number three in the first place was um, back when David Warner and Steve Smith were suspended, they were looking for someone to to bat three and Marnus, you know, raced to the front of the room, you know, desperate to do it. Um, And that was, you know, when his first class record wasn't, uh, wasn't that great. So, look, he's that sort of person that he will take on any challenge. Um, but, yeah, understandably, he's, um, he's pretty comfortable where he is and it'll uh, be interesting to see you know, how much, yeah, what the selectors make of all that. We're not, look, look, let's hope we're proven wrong and we get a really competitive test summer with, with Pakistan and, and then the West Indies. But I liked your piece the other day just about the fact that, uh, you know, the BBL might be the star of the summer and, therefore, the star of the BBL is Glenn Maxwell and, therefore, it puts a bit of pressure on Glenn Maxwell to perform. Yeah, exactly. I mean, look, I think Glenn Maxwell can be the biggest um, star this summer. Um, you know, we've seen what he did in the World Cup. And, um, you know, I just think that the, the Test Series will be overshadowed, I think, by the big bash if some of these big names can take off. So it'll be great to see because some of the stuff that Glenn Maxwell was doing in India was just incredible. And if he can do that in our own time zone, um, we're in for a win for a big show. What should we expect? We know the West Indies, the, the struggles they've had. Well, what are you expecting from this Pakistan team? We know that they can be unpredictable and they've got a lot of talent, but what do you expect from this touring party this time? Um, look, I think, yeah, it's a bit concerning, to be honest, where um, what, what uh, where they're at, to be honest, the, the Pakistan, um, the decision over their selector and things like that is is a major concern. So, yeah, I, I, I don't I, I don't hold much hope, to be honest, for the summer. I think um, Australia's going to be very dominant. And, um, you know, I, I think that, that top order, um, I suppose there's some sort of pressure in making runs because I think everyone else will be. So, um, yeah, I think, I think we're going to see a pretty high-scoring summer. 
Yeah, very strange what's going on with the uh, selection in Pakistan. Quick, I noticed uh, over in Perth they want twenty five thousand there for the opening day of the test. They've sort of rebranded it and tried, you know, brought back a little bit of the hill from the Wacker. What do you think's a good result in terms of a, a test crowd for Perth on that opening day? Um, look, I think you'd want at least fifteen thousand to be turning up for the first day, but. Um... Yeah, it's it, you know Perth's really invested a lot of effort and um, and energy into trying to um, change the culture over there, I suppose, and get people to the ground. Um, they're making an artificial hill, which I think is a great idea um, because it has you know that was one of the charms of going to the Wacker, and you, you just don't get that at the big stadium. So I'm interested to see how that goes. I think that's a great idea, and yeah, look, I think. You know, particularly with what's happening with Brisbane over the coming years with the redevelopment, looking forward to the Olympics. Maybe there's a chance for Perth to host a few um, first tests of the summer in a row and you, you can build a bit of a you know, momentum up around that as well. So um, it's, a, it's, it's an interesting one. The, the crowds haven't matched the, the huge stadium they've had mm. built there. So hopefully this is the year. Ben, uh, yeah, let's hope so. Let's hope we get a competitive uh, first test and we'll, we'll take the rest from there. Uh, thanks so much for your time. I uh, look forward to catching up soon. Thanks, Julian. All the best. Cheers. Ben Horn, Daily Telegraph cricket rider. Uh, got a few uh, 40 Wings tempers coming through about the Australian batting order as well. It was a thrilling finish in the English Premier League at Kenilworth Road, Luton v Arsenal. Uh, we'll just, if you don't want to know the score, just... Uh, Turn off for a sec. We'll get to the news with Nathan Gardner and then we'll bring that to you on the other side. Thank you, Nathan. As you heard in the news there, Arsenal pinched it at the death. Literally the last touch of the game, their skipper, Martin Erdegaard, whips in across and Declan Rice, who has been worth every pound he was bought for from West Ham, gets his head on the ball. Arsenal win 4-3 and go five points clear of Liverpool at the top of the table. Got a couple of happy Gunners fans have sent through uh, their temper text. Get involved, 0433-98-1116. Temper, a mattress like no other. Remember, get your unique bed match profile and find the right bed for you. 40 Winks, serious about sleep. After the next break, we're going to speak to Brandon Rabar. He covers the OKC Thunder, of course, where our own Josh Giddy plays, who's been caught up. In a bit of a storm over there in the last uh, couple of weeks, he's still playing. He's getting booed away from home. He's getting cheered when he plays at home. He's still playing pretty well, and the Thunder going well. So we're just going to touch base with Brandon and just get a feel for what it's like on the ground. Uh, over there in Oklahoma, we're asking the question this morning, who has been the Australian Sporting Coach of the Year? So to qualify, you just don't have to be Australian. You just have to coach an Australian national team, coach in an Australian domestic sporting competition, or be an Australian plying their trade overseas. So nominees so far we've had of Ivan Cleary, the coach of the Penrith Panthers, who won their third consecutive NRL premiership this year. Of course, Ange Postacoglu with what he did at Celtic and the start of his uh, managerial career at Tottenham. Uh, and also um, Craig Starsevich, of course, won the AFLW Grand Final despite losing three gun players at the end of the last season. Plenty coming through on the 40 Wings temper. Traff from Warrigal says Andrew McDonald. Have to have Andrew McDonald in the conversation. Retain the Ashes. Lost in India 2-1, but the World Cup triumph in India against an undefeated India. It was a pretty good year for Australian cricket. So Andrew has to be in the conversation. Craig McRae, also mentioned by Trav, has to be in the conversation. 21 wins, five losses, a premiership. And as we said, like the NRL, the AFL is a frighteningly even competition. So to win a flag and only lose five matches for the season, 
particularly coming off a great year in his first year. Craig McRae has to be in the conversation. This one's come through pretty strongly. I like it. Hello. What about swimming coach Dean Boxall? Coaches world record holders and world championship multiple gold medalists Molly O'Callaghan and Ariane Titmus. Then coached all four swimmers, O'Callaghan, Shana Jack, Brianna Throssell and Titmus, who broke the four by 200 metre freestyle world record in this year's world champs, says Conrad in Glen Waverley. Uh, got another one here, but maybe Dave from Bunbury is going to give me the one I was just about to read out. G'day, Dave. Hey, Jules. How are you, mate? I'm good, mate. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. Now, we too, our producer out the back here, Link Allen, who's a Western Australian, we're we're a bit hard on the WA, questioning your crowds for the cricket and and Cam Bancroft. Are we a bit hard on you over there? Uh, I don't know. I think you're right. Cam Bancroft hasn't, he's done well, but hasn't really jumped ahead of the other three. And the crowd, well, I don't know, last year it was horrendous, but it was the windy, so I yep. guess we'll just have to wait and see. Put it this way, I'll be there. So Good man, good man. There'll always be one person there. Who's your, who's your nomination for us for Coach of the Year, Dave? Oh, back-to-back BBLs, back-to-back Sheffield Shields, back-to-back Marsh One Day Cups, Adam Voges by the straight, surely. Beautiful, Dave. I had that on my list. I was waiting for someone to either ring or 40 Wings temper that through. Has to be in the conversation. Domination of, of domestic cricket, Scorchers, Shield, Marsh Cup, certainly in the conversation, Adam Voges. Thanks for your call, Dave. We'll add that one to the mix. A couple, a couple of tempers uh, came through suggesting exactly the same thing. A few more for Dean Boxall. And one that certainly won't be on the list, it's been pointed out, Eddie Jones, not the coach of the year in Australian sport. Complete opposite, to be honest. Okay, let's get a breakaway. On the other side, we're going to talk some NBA with Brandon Rabar, who covers the Oklahoma City Thunder. This is mornings for Hyundai. The Hyundai 2023 SUV event is on now and Host Plus. Want to have your say? Ring Jared on 1300 736 736. Now, back to Waitley. Welcome back to the show. Julian DeStoop sitting in for Jared Waitley on another sunny Melbourne day. Josh Giddy's had a meteoric rise in his first two and a half seasons in the NBA, but it's been a tough couple of weeks uh, around allegations that he had a relationship with an underage girl, but he's still playing. He's copying it when he's away from home. He's copying plenty of support when he's playing home games for the Thunder. Uh, so I thought it's a good chance to get over to the States and speak to someone on the ground. Uh, Brandon Rabar, OKC writer for the Daily Thunder, has been good enough to take our call. G'day, Brandon. Hey, good day. Thanks for having me today, guys. Absolute uh, pleasure. It's been we've been watching it from afar, and there's been plenty of drama surrounding uh, Josh Giddy, and it appears like it's been a pretty tough time for him uh, dealing with these allegations. Uh, you're close to it. Have you got a feel for how Josh and and the Thunder have handled it so far, and whether it's uh, how much it's affecting him? Yeah, as far as the allegations, as far as they're handling it. It's just a no comment situation, you know. Whenever Josh is is asked about it, or whenever Mark has been asked about it, it's just been a no comment uh, situation. So, you know, publicly, that's that's what we've heard, and really nobody's been asking about it over the you know the past few games because they they let us know, you know, that they're not going to speak on that. So it hasn't really been mentioned since then. Um, so that's what we're seeing as far as you know being here on the ground right now. What's the feeling amongst the OKC fans? I mean, every time he's you know been introduced in home games since, it's been a, a huge roar. Seems like there's plenty of support behind him. I, I'm assuming that's the way it is. 
Yeah, plenty of support behind him. Like you said, uh, I'm in the arena for every home game, and, and every time he's announced, there's there's a lot of support, big roars as usual for Josh here from the home crowd. You know, there's there's always going to be differing opinions, no matter, you know, what fan base it is or, you know, anything like that. So you'll hear differing opinions. But I would say, uh, by and large, a lot of support for Josh here amongst OKC fans. So as of, you know, 24 hours ago, and I'm assuming this part hasn't changed, the NBA and the Newport Police uh, Department in California are still investigating the situation. Have you got any feel for how long that investigation will take? No, no idea. Uh, I don't know if anybody knows, quite honestly. You know, I've I've tried to, you know, stay, you know, in tune to it as much as I can. But uh, no, there's there's no feel, I don't think, from really any local media whatsoever as far as how long, you know, the investigation could take. So, so I wish I could help there. Uh, but I don't think any of us really have any clue as far as that goes. So back in action against the Rockets tomorrow, the Thunder. But just take us through their last game against Dallas was was quite extraordinary to concede 30 consecutive points and then come back and score 15 of the last 18 and win by six. That, that was a crazy game of basketball. Yeah, that was wild. it was honestly one of the craziest games I've I've ever watched, to be quite honest. Uh, the Thunder were in full control. Looked like it was going to be one of those games where they just blow the Mavs out and they're sitting their starters in the fourth quarter. And then the Mavs go on a historic, never-done-before 30-0 run. And they go up by six with just four minutes left. And honestly, I think that everyone thought that the game was over at that point. And the Mavs had it won, especially being on the road, hostile environment. And somehow, some way, the Thunder came back and went on a 14-3 to run in the last four minutes to win it. It was it was a crazy game, but this Thunder team, you know, has has shown this season uh, that they're really composed. You know, they're still the second youngest team yeah. in the NBA, but but they don't play like it at all. Speaking of Brandon Rabat, OKC writer for the Daily Thunder, it was the biggest consecutive run of points in a game since 1997, 1998. An amazing game of basketball. So you just mentioned there, they started the season really well, second in the West behind Minnesota. They're above the reigning champions at the moment, the Denver Nuggets, but they're still a very young team. It's obviously very early in the season as well. But what do you feel like the expectation is around this team for the remainder of the season, given the start they've made? Yeah, given the start, I think the expectations were already somewhat high coming into the season because, you know, they made the play-in last year and they were one game away from making the playoffs as the youngest team in the NBA last year. And then they added Chet Holmgren and then another year of development for the young guys like Giddy and Jalen Williams and, and SGA. So I think that people thought that this would be a, a playoff contender this year. But now, after the start, uh, I think that most people, you know, whether it be here locally or even nationally, uh, we're seeing a lot of national media now picking the Thunder as, you know, not only a, a playoff contender, but maybe a playoff lock. And some some people are choosing them as, you know, a team that might have home court advantage the first round. So uh, I think expectations have definitely been raised, even though we're only 20 games into the season. How have you seen Josh's start of the season, regardless of the last couple of weeks when he's, you know, he's been playing under a bit of a external pressure? How have you seen his on-court performance uh, in the opening part of the season? Yeah, it's funny because Mark Dagnall, uh, OKC's head coach, talked about that today. He was asked about Josh because he hasn't been as efficient as he was last year. Uh, you know, he really kind of took a, a big leap last year in his sophomore year from his rookie year, which was already pretty impressive. 
And his numbers have been down this year, and his efficiency has been down. But Martin Dagnall said today in his press conference that he thought that Josh Giddey was still a better player this year than he was last year. Maybe the efficiency isn't there, uh, but after what they saw the first two years and after all the work that he put in, and he played with Team Australia this year in the FIBA World Cup, and he played really well there, and all the work he puts into the gym, he says, you know, the numbers may not look like it right now, but he still feels, and OKC feels, like he's still a better player and and you know the number is going to go up for Josh Giddy going forward. That's how that's how the team feels for sure. Yeah, we're, we're not talking about the FIBA World Cup here. It was a bit disappointing from the uh, the boomers' uh, perspective, uh, given how well we did at the Olympics. But uh, just on, we know there's so much player movement uh, in the NBA. I know Andrew Gaze, who works here and and it, it used to coach Josh as a junior, just talking about his future. Is is it a hundred percent a lock that Josh will be at the Thunder next season? Do you think? Oh, I don't know about 100%. I, I know that the Thunder are very high on Josh Giddy still. Like, regardless of, of anything that's going on, like, Josh Giddy as a player and a prospect, I know the Thunder is still very, very high on him. But the Thunder is so unpredictable, you know, that, you know, they, they make so many trades and, you know, they're in this rebuild right now. I think that they view him as a core piece moving forward. But obviously, you know, with Shea Gilgis-Alexander and Chet Holmgren, you know, really kind of busting out, and then Jalen Williams. I think that this year is very much a year where they see, like, who fits, like, how this team fits. You're adding this big piece in Chet Holmgren and kind of going forward what the team is going to look like. I want to say 100% just because, you know, the Thunder, you know, are always kind of in transition and make a lot of trades. But I do know for sure being around this team and being around uh, the organizations that they're very high on Josh Giddey. Absolutely. Let's hope that remains the case. Just interested to get your thoughts, Brandon, on how the NBA in-season tournament is received in the States. I mean, the courts are interesting. They're bright. They're a bit tough on the eye watching on television sometimes. What's the overall feel from the fans about the the in-season tournament? Yeah, so I think there's a lot of hesitation at first and a lot of doubt. I think that people thought it was, you know, weird, didn't make sense. People didn't understand it. But now that it's actually happening and we're seeing the players actually take it really seriously and we see like these playoff atmospheres in the two games that we saw last night, now that we're in the actual quarterfinals of the tournament, I think the tide is kind of shifting and people are getting into it and are kind of excited about it. Obviously, it helps if if your team that you're following and a fan of is is in the tournament. It's kind of funny, like, you know, the Thunder uh, are – the number two seed in the West right now, but they just happen to lose their tournament games. So they're not in the quarterfinals. They're not in this tournament. But I think that by and large, uh, people are a fan of, of the tournament. I think that they've kind of shifted the uh, attitude towards the tournament. I think some of it was negative, but I think most people are on board now. And just as we let you go, just on Josh, do you think he's going to continue to cop the heat when he's on the road until the investigation from the NBA and the Newport Police uh, Department is concluded, or do you think it's going to, you know, the heat's going to come out of it pretty quick, or does it just continue that uh, he cops it from opposition fans? Yeah, I got to say, if I'm being honest, looking at the first two games since the, you know, since all this came out, on the road versus the Wolves, uh, very heavily booed. Then on the road versus the Mavs, very heavily booed. It was kind of every time he touched the ball. It wasn't one of those that just booed him during intros. He was kind of booed the whole time. So yeah, I thought maybe the Minnesota thing was a one-time thing, uh, but but the Mavs fans did it as well. 
you know, as more reports come out and more information comes out, uh, maybe that changes. I, I don't know, but but as of now, it looks like uh, he's not going to get very much love on the road. No, I would say yeah. it, it seems that way. Absolutely. Uh, Brandon, you're always very generous with your time. Uh, thank you for the update, and we look forward to touching base again soon. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me again. Brandon Rabar, OKC writer for the Daily Thunder. As we mentioned off the top of the show, the PM is 11, the tour of Pakistan. That begins today. It's in Canberra against a very strong PM 11. We spoke to Ben Horn before about the bat off with Bancroft and Renshaw and Harris. Well, they're not batting first, unfortunately. Uh, Pakistan captain Shan Massoud has won the toss and elected to bat first. So the likes of Harris, Bancroft, Renshaw, Cameron Green, uh, Webster and McSweeney. Just going to have to wait a little bit longer. So uh, with the ball for the Aussies, uh, Nathan McAndrew, Mark Steckety, Todd Murphy and Jordan Buckingham get their chance. First up in that PM's game at Marnica Oval. Plenty of temper texts coming through about your Australian Coach of the Year. A few other nom- fresh nominees as well. We'll read through them on the other side of the break. A reminder after 10, we're going to cross the divide with Andrew Voss up in Sydney. Your local Hyundai showroom today. Host Plus Pension Account gives you more control over your retirement. That's a plus. Issued by Host Plus Proprietary Limited. Check the pension PDS and TMD at hostplus.com.au. Mornings on SEN. Waitley on SEN. Welcome back to the show. Julian Stoop sitting in for Jared Waitley. A bit of breaking news in the NBL, uh, particularly our friends over in South Australia. CJ Bruton's time at the Adelaide 36ers is over. So it's been a tough time. For the 36ers, they finished 8 of 10 last year and so far this year from their opening 13 games, just four wins and nine losses, uh, sitting second last on the table just above the Illawarra Hawks at the moment. They've had some dramas with their imports over the last couple of years as well, but uh, CJ Bruton's time at the 36ers is over. So it becomes the second NBL head coach to depart this year after the Illawarra Hawks departed with their head coach a couple of weeks ago. Speaking of coaches, Australian Coaches of the Year, uh, Just if you're just joining us, uh, the criteria don't have to be Australian as long as you've coached an Australian national team in an Australian domestic competition or plying your trade overseas. So a heap of nominees so far, including Ange Postacoglu, Craig McRae, Ivan Cleary, um, Adam Voges as well. And the one I suggested that uh, someone coaching an individual overseas, uh, plenty have come through with the answer. That is Darren Cale, of course, successful Australian tennis coach. He's got hold of Yannick Sinner uh, at the moment. The Italian, he's finished the year at number four. He's the first Italian to finish in the top five, man or woman. Won four tournaments. One was part of Italy's Davis Cup team. He made the semifinals at Wimbledon. He won his first... uh, Masters 1000 tournament and was one of the players of the year on the ATP tour. So he has to be uh, in the conversation. Andrew McDonald's also been uh, nominated. Uh, a couple of other fresh ones. One I de- definitely had on the list was the Diamonds coach, Stacey Marinkovic. Has to be in the running. Given all the dramas around netball this year, the fact that Diamonds did go on and win the World Cup, she has to be uh, in the frame. And I like this one as well. Richie Smith, the coach of both Minji Lee and Min Woo Lee. Minji looking to rise to world number one. Of course, Minwoo had another great year. World ranking up to 35, won the Australian PGA. So certainly has to be uh, in the conversation as well, as well as Tony Gustafsson. We'll ask that question to Andrew Voss after the break.
The Hyundai 2023 SUV sale event is on now. Offers available. Visit your local Hyundai showroom today. Host Plus Pension Account gives you more control over your retirement. That's a plus. Issued by Host Plus Proprietary Limited. Check the pension PDS and TMD at hostplus.com.au. Mornings on SEN. This is your town. This is your station. This is Waitley. Welcome back to the show. If you're just joining us for the first time, welcome. Another beautiful, sunny Melbourne day, aiming for a top of 21 degrees today. It's Julian DeStoop sitting in for Jared Waitley, just taking a break before the SEN Test Cricket Team fires up next week in Perth. It all gets underway on Thursday, Australia v Pakistan. Speaking of the tourists, they've won the toss and will bat in the match against the PM's 11 uh, up in Canberra. We'll hopefully speak to someone that's at the ground uh, later on uh, then this hour. Uh, hopefully we'll speak to Andrew Voss very shortly as we go across the divide and chat all things that's going on uh, in uh, the world in Sydney at the moment. Really interesting story going around about State of Origin Rugby League, a proposal uh, led by uh, rugby league legend Wayne Pierce, uh, basically pushing for Kiwis and English be able to play in the State of Origin series, which uh, Brent Tate, former Queensland legend, is not happy about at all. So we'll speak to Andrew Voss about that. We're asking for your Australian Sporting Coach of the Year, whether they've uh, – they don't have to be Australian. They, as long as they've coached an Australian national team, been involved in an Australian domestic competition or applying their trade overseas. They've got a heap of nominations uh, so far, including Craig McRae, uh, Stacey Marinkovic of the Diamonds, Andrew McDonald, uh, Tony Gustafsson, Darren Cale, who's done some great work uh, with Yannick Sitter, and Adam Voges, who's done great things with Western Australian cricket. Uh, and the Scorchers, of course, Ange Postacoglu has been mentioned as well, as well as Craig Starsevich, who was our first nomination in the first hour. So I can take your calls, one 736 736 or shoot us through a 40 Winks temper, 0433 uh, Another couple of freshies coming through. I don't mind this from David in Newport. Toss of the coin between Ange Postacoglu and Coach Nick. I'm not sure Coach Nick has quite been there this year, but he's had a very, very strong year and a great supporter uh, of the station. Now, I don't think this one quite qualifies. Uh, Hi, Julian. Love the show. Mark Webber for coaching slash managing Oscar Piastri to being the best Formula One rookie since Lewis Hamilton in 2007, says Simon from Franks. I don't think that quite qualifies as a coach, um, but uh, certainly doing a good job, but just mentoring uh, young Young Ostra Piastri. We've got one here too saying uh, Gabriella Sabatini was an Italian woman who was ranked top four. So you were wrong. Well, absolutely. I'm not wrong because she was Argentinian. Uh, Gabriella Sabatini, uh, not Italian. As we go across the divide uh, with Andrew Voss, who joins us from Sydney. G'day, Vossi. Hello, Julia. Not happy with um, with you today. You speaking collectively, Melbourne. Well, what have we done now? Well, we've just hosted one of the best ever Australian golf opens. One of the great finishes in excess of 60,000 fans. And every report is that um, he's lost it and Melbourne will have it. I mean, I, don't, I, I thought Melbourne, you know, I thought you had no money. You know, no Commonwealth Games and to get any coin to get any sort of spent there of an international kind. What's happened? Well, only well, found some. In, 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 in fairness. Club box or something. Vossi, the Australian is a very nice golf course. <laughs> Only the 38th ranked golf course in Australia. Thank you very much. Oh, so you've got to yeah, bring it to where the best golf courses are, I would have thought. Well, I think I think you judge it on its success. Um, the Australian Open and the Lakes, which was used for the first two days as well. And, you know, to have an eagle win in a playoff and so many Australian players, I think, 
you know, the underlying story is that all these Australians came back because they were playing at the Australian in the lakes. I think that was part of it. But I, no, I, I just want to know, where, where, where have you found the money? What is oh, there, we don't have uh, to pay for the Com Games anymore, so there's a bit of cash. Yeah, yeah you must have a cunning kick in government. <laughs> it was, a great, it was a great week, though, wasn't it, in all seriousness? Oh, it really was. It, it, it really was. And, you know, um, to have all those players there, uh, to be honest, can I be honest, I, I felt flat a little that no Australian was in the playoff right right at the death. Yep. I had I don't mind admitting I'd had a little wager on Cameron Davis and he started like a house on mm-hmm. fire. I was then I was also on Lucas Herbert from the start and he, you know, teased the lead there for a while. Minwoo Lee, Adam Scott was there, triple bogey brought him undone. So there was lots of Australians in and about um, but we ended up with the two internationals uh, fighting it out and an eagle to win in a playoff was pretty special. But I just would have liked an Australian to have been Right up there at the finish. Oh, and with about an hour to go, you thought Minji Lee might win here. She's she's closing. Minwoo's That's still right. in the hunt. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which would have been unbelievable uh, if uh, Minwoo made the playoff. Now I'm going to. Uh, I mean, David Warner, one of your own, is under the pump again. But uh, before that, take me through this story with State of Origin. Sure. I mean, state of origin is pretty yeah. self-explanatory, isn't it? So we can't change it where we have internationals playing. <laughs> if in state only of your attitude could be carried into uh, <laughs> discussions. I mean, that, and that's been my belief all the way along. I, I know there's exceptions of kind. I mean, Peter Sterling. You know, everyone knows Peter Sterling. Sterling. He was actually, um, you know, where where he is born is different to where. He could play uh, Origin. There's been players born in different states and all the rest. But primarily, it should be Queensland, New South Wales. I don't think... It's not Origin's fault that we now have more Polynesian-based mm. play or, you know, Polynesian heritage players than ever. Uh, we need to pump up international football, you know, and we have that ability, but it's fitting it into the schedule. It's getting everyone to the table and saying, right... Well, when we play a test match, it's not an afterthought. It's going to be on the same billing as a state of origin and just as special, and maybe can we bring payments up the same? And then you won't have players even, you know, um, dancing with the thought of, of, of playing state football. They're happy to play for their country, for, for Samoa, for Fiji. Um, that will become the pinnacle. I mean, I know it's a big shift. It'll be a seismic shift because we've created this state of origin monster but in a perfect world, that would be the scenario. You know, the, the ultimate honour is playing for your country, but we've sort of let that slip, to be honest. So Brent Tate made his uh, comments on SENQ Breakfast. He said, if they open it right up, it becomes a free-for-all. When you're hearing the anthem, you've got your hand on the Queensland end- emblem. It's about the pride and the passion. Honestly, mm. I'm flabbergasted they're even thinking about tinkering with the rules. As I said, yeah. I think it'll have a dire effect on what State of Origin is about, where it's born, and the history of it. So is there a feeling... I mean, it hasn't lessened the product. I mean, the, the product is unbelievable. The standard of football is unbelievable. Is, what is this, some sort of suggestion that there's too many top players missing out in playing in origin? Oh, well, I would have thought so. I just, I just people sort of like the idea, or some people like the idea of, like, we've had great Englishmen come over and play, you know, 10 years in the competition. Could they play? Jason Taumalolo, great Cowboys captain, you know, he's been in Australia since he was 13 or 14, but he's never played Origin, and he's pledged his allegiance to Tonga. Well, let's play more games for Tonga. Let's let you know. Let's schedule more Test matches for them, and they become Origin-like. Um, we've just started to get it right. You know, we're going to have these specific championships which we had this year. They're already locked in for next year. We've sort of got our World Cup cycle right. So, you know, there, there's signs there that we can make it happen, but. Or, origin's a monster. Do we blame you? Because you guys had the origin. AFL had the origin f- before Rugby League did. Um, 
But Origin is a monster. It you is know, a it, monster. It, 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 it overrides the club competition. It leaves international football, you know, a distant second and third in terms of rankings of, of rugby league. So whatever we do, we've got to work around the monster, well, <laughs> which I, isn't easy. I think we, we look on with envy, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, we, we love our competition, but I grew up when there was State of Origin. I was there in 1989 when 90,000 people at the MCG and Tony Lockett and Jason yeah, Dustall, wow. even though he was wow. a Queenslander, was playing yeah. for Victoria. Our rules were so stupid back then. We had John Longmire in 1990 played a game for Victoria and New South Wales in the same year. So it was all yeah, over well. the shop. But it was, it was fantastic. But so... On this topic, what chance this push from you know this oh. suggestion from what you know uh, Wayne Pierce is involved? What what chance yeah. it gets through? Well, I'm going to say, uh, is there a chance? Well, of course, it's it's you know dumb and dumber stuff. Of course, there's a chance because they are talking about it. But um, I would think vast majority no. Keep it simple, stupid. <laughs> you know, like just yeah. go with a common sense approach. Um, hold dear to the heart the the tradition of uh, Queensland versus New South Wales, and that's where the players come from. Yes, there's a case-by-case example in terms of players that have come over at a very early age, you know, who have come across from New Zealand maybe when they're two or three or whatever. Certainly examine case-by-case, but um, no, we need to get International Rugby League right. That's where the problem is Mm. that flows on to why we need to, to even think about changing origin, I believe. We're going across the divide with Andrew Voss. The big story in sport the last 48 hours has been uh, the Thunderbolt bowled down by Mitchell Johnson towards David Warner and towards George Bailey. What's been the the general reaction in Sydney to how that's all played out? It was pretty pretty hectic uh, the first two days of the week on our SEN breakfast show here in Sydney. But um, I've got to say today, I I just drew a line in the sand that I ripped up the script. I just said, I'm not talking about it anymore. And when we started to talk about Mitchell Johnson not getting a contract with another radio station. I just said, well, I couldn't care mm. less. You know, I don't give a tinker's cuss. And it's all got a bit childish. I, I, no one's a winner here. And I include George Bailey. That was a cheap shot about, I'm going to check if he's okay. You know, that was cheap. Yeah, that was poor. Um, and, and, you know, Dave Warner, I don't think he wins any new fans. Has anyone won a new fan out of this? No. And, and Mitchell Johnson, well, if he's a columnist, I get that. You know, you write opinion pieces to get reaction. Well, you got reaction, Mitchell. So, you know, you stick on your dig. And if you... if if you are writing the piece or you have a ghostwriter, either way, if your name's on the piece, you have to stand by what you write and, and back it to the nth degree. Don't backtrack. You know, that's that's the you know the strength of the people who write around the world. You, who have we got? You, Piers Morgan and those sort of people. You know, they're there to inflame, get reaction. That's the world they live in. Mitchell Johnson, welcome to that world, mate. You know, so um, I, I'm, I'm sick of it. You know what I mean? And... and uh, I know we've got the Prime Minister's 11 today in the so-called shootout, but <laughs> I think I think Dave Warner's in. I think anyone, you know, it'd be a massive surprise if he wasn't in. And uh, if Dave Warner was to score runs, well, then the others might just have to wait a little longer. Might even be a Sydney farewell. He might go the whole summer. Well, wouldn't surprise. And look, the way David Warner is, would you be really backing against him making runs in this first test? Well, if he got runs, why would you, why would you drop him mm. for a series against the West Indies? If he it, seriously, if he if he if he starts the summer well against Pakistan and is putting runs on the board, I'm not asking like you wouldn't unless Bancroft, um, Harris, Renshaw, you know we're talking hundred after hundred after hundred. Um, I, I I'm saying Dave Warner, if you get runs, that's how we pick the team. But I'm not I'm not a, I'm not a fan of locking in the Sydney farewell. 
So I'm, I'm, I'm sort of contradicting myself a little there. But if he fails the first test or the second test, I'm not hanging on for him for Sydney. Mm, they you know, they, 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 wouldn't, they wouldn't drop him for Sydney, though, would they? If, they? if he had two poor tests, do you think they'd drop him for Sydney? Oh, well, if you got four single figures, you'd, mm. have to think, you'd have to go there, I would have thought. You can't. I mean, what what sort of farewell is it if he goes out and makes duck and one? I mean, I suppose Bradman. <laughs> I was going to say the great man did. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> no, but I, I just say I, I just don't think there's been any win in any of the discussion. The points raised. They haven't said, yeah, well, he's got it right or he's got it right. No, I don't think anyone's got it completely right. Um, couldn't we just go back to picking the best possible eleven? I think we can pick a better six without Warner in it. To be honest, to be frank, but you are rejigging batsmen, someone to open the order who's not a regular. Opening batsman. Mm, so if you move the other show there, you you yeah exactly. So if that backfires, then there's going to be a whole different um, discussion topic for us on SEN. Just uh, one more on the rugby league. That one of the big off-season stories has been what the future lies for Jerome Luai from the Panthers. So are we getting yeah. closer to a decision there? Well, uh, we had um, the Canterbury coach on the show today, Cameron Serrado. He confirmed that they do not have an offer on the table. Mm-hmm. He is a former Panthers assistant, you know, and, and knows Jerome inside out, but said, you know, if he then says that he's leaving Penrith, then we will enter. It was pretty much straight bat stuff from Canterbury. The Tigers have confirmed they're putting an offer. Now, if you believe what you read, Tigers will offer four years or so. Now, even at four years paying him, say, 400000 season, a more than Penrith. That's a mighty hard thing to turn your back on, isn't it? $1.6 million That's a lot of cash. Over four years. That's exactly. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of holidays. <laughs> Business class seats. Yes. Jerome has won. He's won three premierships. People say, oh, I'll stick with Penrith. But, well, he's won three premierships. He's played State of Origin. He's played a World Cup final for Samoa at Old Trafford. You know, he's, he's ticked a lot of boxes in his career maybe the big payday is the next one. So he's got a decision to make, and it would be purely based on money. Yeah, of course he'd be happy if he stayed at Penrith, but would he be happy looking at his bank balance? Mm, it's a big decision for him. Mm, big decision. Yeah. What, what, gut feel on it? Gut feel, I think he'll go. Yep. But I but I think he plays out next year with Penrith. It's funny things happen. You know, you can do transfers, you know, all the way through the off-season, such as, such as it is in rugby league. You can go anywhere. But I think he plays out next year and then moves on, just as Stephen Crichton, uh, star centre for Penrith, did this year. He signed more than a year out with Canterbury, but played out last season with Penrith, won a premiership with them, and has now moved on. Actually starts training today with Canterbury. So there you go. Just, um, he's now a bulldog. Just on the Panthers, before I let you go, asking the question today, who has been the best coach in Australian sport yeah. this year? So it's uh, you, you don't have to be Australian as long as you've coached an Australian national team in a domestic comp or plying your trade overseas. Ivan Cleary has to be in the has conversation. Who would you have in your top yeah. two or three there? Well, I do have to wear my rugby league hat in this, and I have to use history to um, define the achievement of Ivan Cleary. When you're talking three straight premiership wins, this was something that hadn't been achieved in uh, 40 years, Parramatta of 81, 82, 83, with a man that we regard as you know, maybe the greatest ever, Jack Gibson. So super coach territory. Outside of winning more than three, We've only had the Dragons win 11 straight. So, you know, if you want to wait a year, Ivan Cleary, a definite. But I can mount a very strong case right now to why Ivan Cleary would get this uh, this gong. Yep, he's got to be in the top three for sure. Uh, well, Vossi, thanks for your time. We look forward to hosting you next year at the Australian Open down in Melbourne. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> that, oh please. Come down to the Commonwealth Games back. Come down to the Sandbelt, the best courses asses. in the world. No, no, get your Commonwealth Games right, and then you can consider tackling other sports. We did a great job in Sydney. Lend us some.
No we'll thanks. Stage it then. No thanks. See ya. Thank you, Bossy. Uh, Andrew on, Voss, as we go across the divide, SEN 1170. Greg and Greg, hang on. We'll get to you on the other side of the break with your nominations for Australian Sports Coaches of the Year. This is mornings for Hyundai. The Hyundai 2023 SUV, SUV event is on now and also another great supporter of the station, Host Plus. Want to have your say? Ring Jared on 1300 736 736. Now, back to Waitley. Welcome back to the show. We're asking today your Australian Sporting Coach of the Year. If you're just joining us, the criteria don't have to be Australian as long as they've been involved with an Australian national team, coaching in an Australian domestic competition or applying their trade overseas. Andrew Voss says it's very hard to go past Ivan Cleary of the Penrith Panthers after a third consecutive Premiership in the NRL, the first team to do so in 40 years. He has to be in the conversation. Greg from Clayton's been hanging on. He's got one for us. Uh, Greg, thanks for your patience. Hi, how are you going, Jules? Good, um, thank you. I had three. Yep. Um, one was Fly from Collingwood. Yep. Coaching so mm-hmm. the Premiership. The uh, the other one was that uh, mad swimming coach at uh, Dean, yeah, Dean Boxall. Dean Boxall. Yeah, yep. yep, he's a ripper. And I don't think Ivan Cleary has to be in there as well. Uh, yeah, that's a good top three. It's very tough. There's some great nominations. Thank you, Greg, for, for those nominations. Let's get to another Greg uh, out in beautiful part of the world, this in uh, Victoria. Hillsville. G'day, Greg. Hey, Jules. How you wearing, son? Good, thank you. How's Hillsville looking today? Hillsville is absolutely salubrious at the moment, mate. It is divine. But I'm, I'm actually trekking down to Kimberloff to do some work. Nice. Which is absolutely, oh, look, it just doesn't get any better, mate. Sincerely. It's just, it's this time of year, it's just gold. Absolute gold. Nice. Who's, who's your nomination for us there, Greg? I've got a couple of quickies for you, mate. I reckon Ivan Perry, uh, he's very, very tough to go past, mate. I mean, three on the nick and mm. actually played in four and lost one. So yeah, that's right. Um, but I've got one for you, and unless you're a pugilistic lover like myself, I don't think you would have heard of uh, Igor Galubrov. It's just funny you say that because the top text that's come through, unless you've just texted in yourself as well, but you wouldn't because you're driving and you're responsible. So can you explain that to me because it's literally just come through? Um, aware of a bloke by the name of Tim Zoo? I've heard of Tim. Yes, I have. He's quite handy when he puts his hands up. Yeah, that's it, mate. He's uh, he's in uh, he's in Jim Zoo's corner, mate. Does that mean he's also in Nikita Zoo's corner? I think there's a scuttlebutt that um, Nikita might be uh, having some serious conversation as well, mate. Yeah, I can't confirm or deny. I'm not that. Uh, <laughs> don't have me finger on the pulse that much, mate. But uh, look, I think blood's thicker than water, and uh, you know, I think something will happen. Yeah. Yeah, beautiful, Greg. It's a good nomination. It's not one I had on my list. I wasn't aware, but it just came through. Uh, the Zoo Brothers trained, both undefeated, both titles, one world title between them. Uh, great nomination. Thank you, Greg. Enjoy the day down in Inverloch. Let's get to Matt in Cheltenham with a nomination. Hello, Matty. Yeah, go, Jules. How are you, mate? I'm well. How are you? Good. Early compliments of the season to you. Yes, you family. too. You too. Thank you, sir. Yeah, um, so I've got a, a little bit of a left-field one. Um, like it. It's a good, good Gippsland boy. Uh, his name's Dominic Azapati, and he is the coach of Lucas Herbert. Nice. And also Carice Davidson, who plays on the LPGA. Nice. And he's got another one coming through, Momoka Kabori. She's off to the LPGA. There's, there's actually no 
no Aussie coach has got more than one player on, on an American tour. So that's, uh, that's a pretty fair record from Don. Tell us a little bit about his background. Uh, good, uh, good Gippsland boy, went to St. Beads, went to Ballarat as a pro, moved to Parisian Springs, and Luca followed him, and the rest is history. Whereabouts in Gippsland is he hail from? Down in Moey. Beautiful. Now, it's a good nomination. Now, he's got a couple of up-and-comers there, and Lucas Herbert just continues to go from strength to strength. Thanks for your call. Uh, Matty, just a few other 40 Winks tempers on the subject. Still time to take your calls. one 736 736 433 981116 Temper, a mattress like no other. Uh, so, Coach of the Year, Stacey Marinkovic. In a year that has been filled with drama off-court for the Diamonds, they've won the World Cup undefeated and recently retained the Constellation Cup against New Zealand. Uh, Andrew McDonald, by the length of the straight, says Rich in Anglesey. Um, has to be Darren Cale if improvement is the key measure of success. Look at the process progress that Yannick Sinner has made since Darren has been guiding him. Matthew Scalps and a Davis Cup leading performance could be world number one this year based on his trajectory. And Dean's given his top three. One, Tony Gustafsson. Two, Andrew McDonald. Three, Ange Postacoglu. Another one here from Ross. He's top four. Number one, Ange. Number two, Ivan Cleary. Number three, Craig McRae. Number four, Andrew McDonald. Plenty of support for Adam Voges as well. Adam Voges wins the Sheffield Shield, One Day Cup and Big Bash all this year. A clear number one, not even close, says Paul from Wellard. Wellard, Link, W-A, W-E-L-L-A-R-D, is that in W-A? I reckon it would be. Link's got no idea, even though he's from Perth. But I'd say that might be someone uh, from uh, Perth coming through there. Another one I have on a list that hasn't been mentioned yet, Nick Montgomery from the Central Coast Mariners. Now, he's not at the Mariners anymore. Uh, he took them to the the title last year, uh, and then he got a job at Hibernian in the Scottish Premier League. Uh, they were, went from fifth to winning the league uh, from last year, fifth to to winning it this year and smashing Melbourne City uh, in that grand final last year. And another one that hasn't been mentioned yet, Shelley Nitschke, coach of the Australian women's cricket team, won the T20 World Cup, retained the Ashes as well. It was a drawn series over in England, eight points apiece, but retained... Uh, the Ashes. So I think uh, she needs to be on the list as well. Okay, let's get to the newsroom. We've got time to take more of your calls. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. Got some audio I want to spin through as well. A bit regarding the cricket and a bit regarding Manchester United. There's a lot of drama around Manchester United at the moment. And overnight, their manager, Eric Ten Hag, banned four journalists from attending his pre-match press conference. So we'll spin through that. On the other side of the news with Nathan Gardner. Thank you, Nathan. Yeah, it all gets underway tomorrow night. It's the Heat and the Melbourne Stars from the Gabba. And as mentioned by Nathan, you can hear every game here on SEN. As we mentioned about half an hour ago, a coaching change in the NBL. The Adelaide 36ers have parted ways with CJ Bruton. So statements just come out. The Adelaide 36ers have decided to part ways with head coach CJ Bruton by mutual agreement. Bruton has led the 36ers since the start of NBL 22 season with a career win-loss record of 27 wins, 40 losses over 67 games. We thank CJ for his tireless efforts both on and off the court, but we leave it's time to go in a new direction, says Adelaide 36ers CEO Nick Barbato. Uh, the 36ers organisation would like to thank CJ for his time at the club and wish him well and his family all the best for future endeavours. Current assistant coach 
Club Hall of Fame legend Scotty Ninnis. Well, there's a name from the past. Great flat top back in the 90s, Scotty Ninnis, will fill the role as interim head coach for the remainder of the NBL 24 season. So becoming the second coach in the NBL to lose their job this year after the Hawks uh, fired their coach a couple of weeks ago. Now, we mentioned before the break, a bit of drama going on at Manchester United. It's been a tough season for United. Uh, Lost again on the weekend to Newcastle. They played Chelsea at home tomorrow morning. But there's been a lot of talk about unrest amongst some of the players at Manchester United around some of the methods of their head coach, Eric Ten Hag, the treatment of Jordan Sancho, who's basically been left out in the cold after a dispute, uh, after being left out of the squad for training standards. He doesn't agree with that. And some of the players haven't been happy with the way he's been treated. So uh, Kavev Sohiko is a journalist over there. He made a report about uh, what he's hearing coming out of the Manchester United camp. But this is what he had to say about some of the issues at Old Trafford. My information, for what it's worth, is that some of the players are confused about what is happening and he has lost elements of the dressing room. Uh, One source telling me that he's lost about 50% of the dressing room. Uh, Quite a few players are unhappy with the style of play. They also feel that they're training too hard and they're running too much during training. And I was told that the players don't know what they're running for. Also, some senior players have spoken to Eric Ten Hag about where they feel the club is going wrong. They've spoken to him about their experiences of playing at other big clubs. Uh, They maybe feel that he should be a little bit more touchy-feely, his Man management could be a little bit better. But you know what? Eric Ten Hag is the boss. He's the one who calls the shots and he is not for turning. He is going to do things his way. Uh, I've also been told that a few of the players believe that he's too set in his ways. uh, He's too robotic. And also quite a few of the players, this is something we've talked about before, are unhappy with the way that Jadon Sancho has been treated. Uh, You know, obviously he's got people in the dressing room who are close to him. He's been totally frozen out because he's refused to apologise to Eric Ten Hag. He's training with the kids. He's eating on his own. Quite a few players think that has gone uh, too far. So that was Kaveh Solhiko reporting on the issues at Manchester United. And then he was one of four journos that was banned from attending Eric Ten Hag's pre-match press conference ahead of their game against Chelsea tomorrow morning, our time. So then at that press conference, Eric Ten Hag was asked why those four reporters were banned. A number of media outlets who are not here today because the club weren't given the right of reply over suggestions that some of the players were unhappy with you, some are unhappy with the training. Um, how, How do you address that? Because... People just don't make things up. Well, but they should come to us first and not go around uh, in uh, our back printing articles. Uh, that's not the right thing. I think we have uh, another relationship uh, and then they can, if they sh- uh, should uh, give that to us beforehand, uh, we have a, a normal and a professional discussion and debate about it. So that was Eric Ten Hag's reasoning. It's not the first time it's happened at Manchester United. Sir Alex Ferguson did it on a few occasions. I'm just interested to get your thoughts on that. Is that 
Is he in his rights to do that, to tell journalists that they can't attend the press conference because it wasn't fact-checked with the club, or is he out of line there? I'm interested to get your thoughts on that. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. Send us through your 40 wings temper. 0433-981116. Get your unique bed match profile and find the right bed for you. 40 winks. Serious about sleep. One off the temper text from Freddie. The only man that can win over the Man United dressing room is Ted Lasso. And don't mind this as a nomination. This is a left field nomination for the Australian Sports Coach of the Year. Matthew Mott, Coach of the Year for making England bomb in the Cricket World Cup, says Harley from Preston. Don't mind that. Let's get another breakaway. Can take your calls, one 736 736 On the other side, a little bit of footy news. And uh, Brad Hatton was on a Fox Cricket uh, podcast and had some interesting things to say about uh, the, potentially the new opener uh, in the Australian cricket team and also the feud. Of course, he was a member of the 2015 uh, World Cup team. So he played with Mitch Johnson and George Bailey and David Warner. So he also has his take on uh, the fallout in the last 48 hours. We'll do that on the other side of the break on mornings for Hyundai. The Hyundai 2023 SUV event is on now and Host Plus. Mornings on SEN. Welcome back to the show. Julian Stoop. on mornings with you. We've been asking who is the Australian Sporting Coach of the Year. So they as long as they've been coaching in a domestic competition in Australia, coaching an Australian national team or plying their trade overseas. So they don't necessarily have to be Australian. For example, Tony Gustafsson has certainly been uh, nominated. Another one here saying uh, Jessica Fox's coach and mother Miriam would have to be in the mix, uh, a five-time athlete of the year. Yep, she is an absolute superstar. Jessica Fox certainly can throw that one in the mix. Uh, Michael has rung through on the open line. You can as well, one 736 Or if you can't call, get involved on the 40 Winks temper, 0433-98-1116. Get your unique bed match profile and find the right bed for you, 40 Winks. Serious about sleep. Just to remind, a bit of a change in the schedule today, so 12 to 3 be Andy and Gazy. They're up at Cathedral in Thornton, which is about, for those that don't know, Victoria or Melbourne, about two hours' drive from Melbourne for the Cathedral Invitational. A heap of our best golfers, including Adam Scott, are there playing in it. So they'll be live there 12 to 3. And then Cam Luke and David King will bring you home on the run home 3 to 5.30. Let's get to Michael in Geelong. G'day, Michael. Yeah, hey, uh, Jules. How you going, mate? I'm well, mate. How are you? Good, good. Hey, um, couple things. I just wanted to um, get your thoughts and also, I guess, put forward, uh, um, I guess, some ideas. I don't know if you've talked about it already around the um, the Everton Football Club sanctions that were imposed on them um, last yeah, week. Yeah, a little uh, bit last week, but we haven't touched on it this week. Yeah, so I've been an Everton uh, supporter for 25 years now, based in Australia, and I'm astounded and completely disenfranchised with, um, I guess, the pre- operation of the Premier League. I understand that Everton broke the rules, mm-hmm. but um, they have been made a complete uh, scapegoat and a complete, uh, I guess, example of by the Football uh, Federation um, in the UK. So, look, that, I think they'll still avoid relegation. They've got a good enough team to avoid mm. relegation. But if they didn't, if they were relegated because of this, that's around a $350 million loss for them. They've got a new stadium opening next season, yet we've heard nothing from uh, Chelsea and Man City sanctions. Everton had one breach um, that they were found guilty of. 
um, City and uh, Chelsea have over 100. Um, Based on that, surely that would be relegation or some kind of um, uh, massive sanction for those two clubs. I I just, I can't even watch the league at the moment. I'm so disenfranchised with it and I just, yeah, am, am really upset with how Everton has been uh, sanctioned in the manner. What are your thoughts? Yeah, look, I listened to quite a bit of talk sport over in, in the UK, and I think the general feeling is that the 10-point deduction was harsh. Clearly, Everton broke the rules. There's no dispute over that. But you're right. So there's 115 charges that have been labelled against Manchester City. They're still being investigated, and then they're looking into some uh, business conducted by Chelsea under their then-owner, Roman Abramovich. Now, you think with Everton getting docked 10 points the standard has been set, and if there is guilt for Chelsea and Manchester City, there's going to be some severe penalties uh, coming their way. I know the Everton fans over in England have been absolutely filthy, and they've, they've lodged protests uh, you know, outside the ground. They flew a plane over Manchester City's ground a couple of weeks ago. So I understand Everton fans being dirty, and I think on, on the surface the 10-point deduction looks... Very harsh, but I think you're right. I think Everton will be okay. Um, if you look at um, you know Sheffield United are in a world of hurt, just changed their manager. Burnley are struggling. Luton have a go, and we saw that against Arsenal this morning, but I don't think they've got the quality to stay up. So I think Everton will be okay, but I agree with you, Michael. On the surface, for what they've done, uh, 10 points does seem a very, very harsh penalty, but at least now it should set the standard. And there's further breaches from other clubs, this is the minimum now. It's a 10-point deduction. So the, on that basis, do you think that if even if City was found guilty of five breaches uh, and Chelsea, you know, five, that would put them in... They would be relegated. So you would have two of the biggest clubs um, in the top flight playing in the championship next year. And obviously City's the richest club in the world or one of the richest. Do you think that the FA would... Um, turn a blind eye to that, or do you think they would make that half decision? Well, it's happened before. I mean, it's happened in Italy with Juventus. It's happened in Scotland with Rangers. Um, so you'd hope they wouldn't turn a blind eye. And I think we've seen in the past they've turned a blind eye. The story last week about the situation with Jermaine Defoe's uh, transfer from Tottenham to Portsmouth. It appeared like there was information in front of the FA and they didn't uh, investigate it. So I think the problem is, um, listening to a few people in the UK, we don't know when we're going to get an outcome to the Manchester City one in particular. So it might be beyond this season. It might be in two years' time. It might be in three years' time. Uh, who knows? But let's hope there is some consistency uh, in the penalties and it's not just a rule for one and, and, a, and a rule for others. Thanks for your call, uh, Michael. Uh, much appreciated. Uh, you can give us a call to 1300 736 736. We'll talk to Daniel Garber about that a bit further when he joins us about uh, quarter past 11 uh, Melbourne time uh, this morning. Before the break, uh, Brad Haddon was p- part of the uh, Fox Cricket uh, podcast. We've got the PM's 11 getting underway today. Uh, in Canberra. It's underway. Uh, Pakistan won the toss and elected to bat. So the likes of uh, Matty Renshaw, Marcus Harris and Cam Bancroft are going to have to wait a little bit longer to impress the selectors. This was Brad Haddon's thoughts on those three going into the PM11. But this is the last chance they have to play some quality red ball to be a good batting surface. And, and let's see who, who aims up. Let's see who puts the, the runs on the board um, and, and takes that opportunity because the one unique thing about this game now they know there's an opportunity after the New Year's test. So you just got to score runs. And getting selected in teams is sometimes you've got to be 
it's got to be perfect timing. And and for these um, four at the, the top of the order, if they score runs, they could find themselves playing a test match um, after the new year. That was Brad Haddon. I've got some comments I'll play a little bit later too. He's just his thoughts on the whole Mitchell Johnson, Dave Warner, George Bailey situation, given he played with all three uh, for quite a long time, including in the 2015 World Cup final where, you know, as we said earlier with Ben Horn, there'll be a reunion next year. Oh, sorry, 2025, uh, which might be a little bit awkward at this time. Let's get another break. I've got a bit of footy news uh, on the other side of the break. This is mornings for Hyundai. The Hyundai 2023 SUV event is on now and also Host Plus. Mornings on SEN. Welcome back to the show. A bit of AFL news before the 11 o'clock news. Uh, Willem Drew has extended his contract at Port Adelaide out until the end of 2028. So Zach Butters signed until the end of 2026 uh, earlier in the week. Willem Drew has become a pretty important cog in that midfield for Port Adelaide, particularly with some of the defensive roles he can play. Um, has signed on until the end of 2028. So he's been a regular. He's played the last 70 games consecutive, played 81 games and kicked 15 goals since being picked 33 in the 2016 AFL National Draft. So well done to Willem Drew there. Bit of news out of the Hawks as well. Uh, their star running defender, Chankoth Giath, is heading over to Qatar uh, for some uh, strength and conditioning works. Had a tough a uh, couple of years, only eight games this year and 14 in 2022. So he's going to the Aspatar Orthopedic and Sports Medicine Clinic in Doha. Uh, the head physio at the Hawks, Andrew Lambert, who's been there 20 years, has a long association uh, with the clinic. So he's just progressed back into full training after calf and Achilles problems. But he's going to spend a couple of weeks over there before returning and uh, getting stuck into preseason in January. And also uh, congratulations to our own Paul Hazelby, of course, a big part of the team over in WA, the run home with Hayes and Mardo. Also special comments on AFL Nation broadcast out of Perth as well. Last night at the WA Football Guild, which is the big football awards in WA, uh, won the Jeff Christian Award for the most outstanding media performer for 2023. So well done to Paul Hazelby. He shared that award with Channel 7's Ryan Daniels. So uh, great uh, tribute to the work that Paul Hazelby has done after over the last uh, 12 months over in WA. So congratulations for everyone at the team at SEN. So after 11, we're going to talk the world of football, both here and internationally with Daniel Garb. We might also get up to Cathedral late in the show uh, as the Cathedral Invitational is underway. Andrew Gaze and Andy Marr from 12 to 3, and then from 3 to 5.30, it'll be Cam, Luke and David King, who loves his footy but loves his golf as well, so he'd be more than happy to be up at Cathedral. Uh, Aaron Sipos also was on breakfast this morning. We'll bring some of the audio from Aaron. Lost his contract, of course, with the Philadelphia Eagles after one bad punt in the Super Bowl. He's back at the Hawks as a development coach. I want to play you the audio as well from Brad Haddon, his thoughts on Mitchell Johnson's column as well. We've still got time to take your calls for nomination of the Australian Sporting Coach of the Year, whether it's uh, internationally or domestically. You can do that after 11 o'clock. You know the number, one 736 736 Mornings on SEN. Welcome back to the show. If you were just joining us for the first time, welcome wherever you're listening around the country. Another beautiful, sunny Melbourne day going for a top of 21. Today's been a big so- show so far. We spoke all things in the world of cricket with Daily Telegraph cricket writer Ben Horn. Uh, Brandon Rabar from the States, a beat writer for the OKC Thunder. We spoke about Josh Giddy, Andrew Voss. We crossed the divide, uh, many things on his plate. And Daniel Garb's going to join us 
in about 10 minutes' time to talk the world of football. You can get involved, one 736 736 or give us a call on the 40 Wings Temper, 0433-981116. Temper, a mattress like no other. So the question we've been asking today, a lot of the awards in Australian sport have been handed out this year, but who is your coach of the year in Australian sports? So just the criteria, as long as they've coached in an Australian domestic competition, an Australian national team, so they don't have to be Australian. Tony Gustafson, for example, the coach of the Matildas, all plying their trade overseas, such as Ange Postacoglu or Darren Kale, which has come through pretty strongly. Other nominations include Craig McRae, Ivan Cleary, the coach of the Panthers, Craig Stasevich, coach of the Brisbane Lions AFLW Premiers, Andrew McDonald, men's Australian cricket team, uh, Shelley Nitschke, the Australian women's cricket team coach, Stacey Marinkovic, the coach of the Diamonds has also come through. And Adam Voges, successful coach, WA Shield team, Marsh Cup and the Perth Scorchers. So have you got any other nominations or want to nominate your top three? one 736 736 As we said uh, earlier, if you're just joining us, a bit of change to programming today. 12 to 3 will be Andy and Gazy up at the Cathedral Invitational. Then from the drive program today, the run home, will be Cam, Luke and David King also from the Cathedral Invitational. So two-day tournament, unbelievable leaderboard after day one. Three major winners at the top. Adam Scott, eight under. Cameron Smith, seven under. Jeff Ogilvie, six under. So it's an amazing field up there, $100,000 to the winner. And uh, in the women's, it's a very impressive field in the women's, including uh, rising stars Grace Kim, Steph Kiriakou, and also Gabby Ruffles, who we had on the run home Last week, uh, she made a great start as well, minus five. So we'll try and get up to Cathedral uh, before the show is over to set the scene ahead of the final day up there. It's a second year of the tournament, and hopefully it becomes a very, very successful one. The other live sport going on at the moment is the Prime Minister's eleven. Uh, Pakistan won the toss and elected to bat, so we're going to have to wait a little bit longer to see uh, those, you know, applying for the to be the replacement for David Warner, Matt Renshaw, Marcus Harris and Cam Bancroft. Bat just lost their first wicket, Pakistan. Uh, Imam Al-Haq gone. Jordan Buckingham in his first over got him out for nine, uh, caught by Jimmy Pearson. Uh, so at the moment, Pakistan up there at Manika Oval, one for 18 So a lot going on in Australian cricket, of course. The last 48 to 72 hours has been dominated by Mitch Johnson's column. As we know, he's very harsh on David Warner. And also George Bailey. Now, one man that knows everyone involved really well is Brad Haddon, the former Australian wicketkeeper. And on a Fox Cricket podcast, he shared his thoughts on the situation. The, the one thing for, for me, and take the selection um, debate um, out of it, this was a, a really strong Australian team um, that was selected. You, you pick guys um, in form and... Um, and and looking at the squad, they all they all des- deserve their role on the team. But the, the interesting thing is, I, I played with both Davy and Mitch, and mate, they've won World Cups together. Um, they've won Ashes series uh, together. They've gone in, in, into battle in, in the fiercest con- conditions uh, side by side. And and having played a lot of, with them, I, I, I've never seen any beef um, but between them. So from my point of view, that that's an that's an interesting. Um, interesting path that it's taken over the last couple of days and and, and I like everyone I'm, I'm, a, I'm a bit lost bit from where it came from with, with those two um but as I said I, I played a lot of cricket with, with both and and not everyone gets on in in, in cricket teams um you, you you have different personality clashes but you, you respect each other once you get a, a, across that white line but 
these two, I, I never seen any beat between them in my time. So yeah, it, it's it, it's a strange event. You, you, as I said, you, you go into battle side by side. You, you've had some great memories um, playing for Australia personally, but but more as a team. Like the the ones that stand out are the 2015 World Cup winning team for me. The the 2014. Um, Ashes where we where we clean swept um, England England at home was was an extraordinary summer and an exciting summer to see the the way the Australian public jump off off the back of your your success and enjoy um, their their holiday season with the way you're playing. So yeah, let's let's hope they um, at some stage when when the heat goes out of um, what's going on that they're able to sit down and, and sort out what they need to. So that was Brad Haddon's thoughts on the situation. Speaking of live sport today as well, Matilda's back in action this afternoon, uh, 2 p.m. Australian Eastern Daylight Time, their second friendly against Canada. Some of the big guns are going to be recalled, played a more of an experimental 11 uh, on the weekend and got thrashed by Canada, uh, five goals to nil. So Tony Gustafsson hoping for a much better performance uh, from the Matildas this afternoon. Okay, let's get a breakaway. On the other side, we're going to talk to Daniel Garber. Amazing game in the Premier League this morning. If you're just joining us, Arsenal 4, Luton 3. A goal in the 97th minute to Declan Rice. Got all three points for the Gunners. Wolves also had a 1-0 win over Burnley. And a bit of drama afterwards. Uh, Mikhail Arteta, the manager of Arsenal, got a yellow card for over-celebrating. It's his third yellow card for the season, which means he can't be on the touchline for Saturday's game against Aston Villa, which seems a little bit harsh if you can't show a bit of emotion after scoring a goal in the 97th minute. We'll ask uh, Daniel Garb about that and uh, all things going on in the A-League as well on the other side of the break. This is mornings for Hyundai. The Hyundai 2023 SUV event is on now and also Host Plus. Mornings on SEN. There's nothing, I don't think there's anything that you can hear as a player more than a, a, a manager having the kind of confidence in you and saying, listen... Go and do the stuff I'm saying to you. Enjoy yourself doing it. I'll take the blame if it goes wrong. Because that's what we saw in that particular game. But what we saw more than anything, which really punished City, was the clinical nature in which Tottenham took those chances. When you do put in a performance like that and you get something, you know know what it's like on the bus, on the way back, everybody's buzzing, everybody's the momentum. And when you get the other players back, if you can stay doing what you're doing now and getting results against the best in the league... Honestly, then you think to what Tottenham are going to be capable of doing once they do get the fit players back. Because what I like about him, he's not complaining about who's out because they've got some top players out. They're just getting it done and they got it done against City and that's, that should be a worrying thing for a lot of people. That was Arsenal legend Ian Wright, full of praise for Spurs manager Ange Postacoglu. We'll get to Spurs and Ange Postacoglu in a second. But Daniel Garb joins me. Garby, an amazing game this morning. Arsenal and Luton. Declan Rice cost a lot of money, but he has been worth every pound so far. Most certainly. And that was his biggest moment so far for Arsenal, the 97th-minute winner to break the hearts of Luton Town at Kenilworth Road. Very big win for the Gunners. They've got some issues between the goalkeeping posts at the yes. moment. I think Mikel Arteta has maybe fumbled his selection a little bit there and... Uh, isn't quite getting the best out of his keepers, but uh, Declan Rice spared his blushes and those of David Ryers at the other end with uh, a clutch header to keep Arsenal top of the table at the end of the midweek fixtures. They've got a five-point gap at the moment over Liverpool. Liverpool play bottom of the table, Sheffield United tomorrow morning. Manchester City are in third. They've got a tricky one Mm. away to Aston Villa. That's going to be really interesting. But uh, regardless of that, the Gunners will 
go into the weekend top of the table, and it didn't look like being so when it was three all with uh, about a minute to go. But uh, yeah, Declan Rice cost a fortune of money. I mean, every which way you added it up, it was a, a very smart signing for Arsenal positionally in the centre of midfield um, as a leader. He's just got a fantastic mentality, and that's the kind of player they needed to try and take them to that next level to break their Premier League drought, which will stretch 20 years once we uh, turn over into the new year. Who knows? The way it's going, it might be uh, ended that drought at the end of the season. Obviously, Liverpool and Man City still well and truly in it. But, uh, yeah, they'll be in it right until the end. You'd think the Gunners at least. So, uh, yeah, it was a huge moment for him in... And justifying his 100 million pound spend so far. As you mentioned, there's a couple of issues out of the game for the Gunners. One is the goalkeeping situation. David Raya, you know, was at fault for two of the goals. Do you think that means as early as the weekend, Aaron Ramsdale gets his chance? And also, was it? I haven't seen. I saw a little bit of the celebrations from Mikel Arteta. Is it a bit harsh? He's got a yellow card for that, and therefore that's his third and can't be on the touchline this weekend. <laughs> it was a little bit. I saw one of his coaching staff trying to hold him back. Um, with uh, with that in mind, but it is a little bit harsh. Yeah, the goalkeeping one's interesting. I mean, to everyone on the outside, it didn't feel like a change they needed to make. I mean, Ramsdale was impressive for them last season, but Arteta wanted someone who could play the ball out from the back a little better. So he went for Raya. Uh, you know, he, he is his number one, but it's not one of those situations where it's obvious that he's a nailed on number one and Ramsdale's long-term number two. There's still a bit of uncertainty there. And you listen to goalkeepers over the journey. I remember Mark Schwarzer talking to me about this, and he just said whenever he was confirmed as the number one and there was no question about it, he performed a lot better. Mm. Whenever he was in a situation, and other keepers have said this as well, where there was a rotation or there was pressure on, that's when they struggled. That, you know, There's enough pressure on a goalkeeper as it is to not make mistakes. When you've got that sitting in the back of your mind that you're not guaranteed to be the number one long-term and there's someone else there who's of equal quality and they could be in the next week. That's when you know, issues start to arise. So I'm not sure he needed to make that change, Mikel Arteta. They're sitting top of the table, of course. But uh, yeah, they've just got a, a concern there as to what they do now. And maybe he'll change. I get a feeling he might stick to his guns, pardon the pun a little bit, and keep Raya between the six because he has been criticised for the decision and he might want to... Uh, to stick with it to prove everyone wrong long term. But uh, it just seems like an unnecessary change for the Gunners to make. But uh, on the table, it's not causing too many issues right now. And not going as well as Manchester United. It's been a big 24 hours. So reports coming out uh, from various journalists in the UK that's not all roses between the manager, Eric Ten Hag, and some of his players. And then four of those journalists were banned from Eric Ten Hag's Press conference, it was something Sir Alex Ferguson has done in the past. Is that yeah. is that going too far from Eric Ten Hag's point of view? I noticed Gary Neville tweeted saying, oh, here we go again. I've seen this script before. You know, we know where this is going to end for Eric Ten Hag. Uh, what's, what's your thoughts on everything that's swirling around Man U at the moment? It's a messy situation. It seems pretty toxic. And uh, that's the overriding word above all else. Pretty much for the last 10 years, more often than not at Manchester United, since... Sir Alex Ferguson left, which tells you that the issue extends far beyond the head coach and that it runs a lot deeper. Um, but, you know, they thought at, this, at the end of last season that Eric Ten Hag was the man. He was the man to alter everything at that club. They'd finally found a, a young, enterprising manager to turn that club over. And then for some reason, coming into this season, it's been anything but. You know, it doesn't seem like he's got the best out of his players. In fact, it doesn't seem. It's clear he hasn't got the best out of his players. I mean, 
they're edging past teams that they should mm. dominate, you know, 1-0 late on in games and they're getting the points and they're higher up on the table than their quality of football suggests they should be because they're just finding a way, which is, you know, handy for them. But then they come up against the better teams and they're played off the park, which was the case against Newcastle United on the weekend, which has been the case against Manchester City. United fans were already fearing playing Liverpool, their biggest rival, thinking, you know, there's mm. no chance we can compete against them and the other big teams when we match them because we're just nowhere near it. And, uh, yeah, that's an issue for them in, in those sorts of games and an issue for Eric Ten Hag in terms of keeping his job because uh, it does seem like it's all going to fall apart at some stage. They should have been a team that's sitting there with Arsenal and Liverpool at the moment as a challenger alongside Manchester City for the title. That's what they were building towards. They've spent enough money on their squad. There's enough quality there. They're back in the Champions League this season. It's a mystery as to why it's all fallen apart. Uh, but the reasons run deeper than Eric Ten Hag. There are simply cultural issues within that football club that have been there for 10 years. Uh, managers, as long as the owners stay the same, the manager's the only person who can mm. really come in and, and change it. They thought Eric Ten Hag was the man. At the moment, it feels like the opportunity will be given to someone else before too long. Speaking of the world of football with Daniel Garb, and barring a miracle, they're, they're going to miss out on the next stage of the, the Champions League. Uh, speaking of goalkeepers, that they've had their dramas with Anana at Manchester United. Newcastle have now got a drama with Nick Pope out for months with a shoulder reconstruction. Is it possible David De Gea could return to the Premier League with Newcastle? Potentially. I don't mind Martin Dubravka. I think he's quite a good goalkeeper. So they've got an able replacement Newcastle United, and a very good defence for him to, uh, to operate behind. I mean, it is one of their strengths. They're, they're resolute back there. And, and I think when you have a break from Champions League football, which they've obviously been playing at the moment, you have that sort of two-month break over the Christmas New Year period before it starts again. Oh, I can see them going on a run and, and really stabilising throughout that period. But uh, yeah, Nick Pope's obviously a, a big loss. He's a, a top-class goalkeeper, but the Brubsker can do his thing. David De Gea was doing well at Manchester United. Um, you know, it was probably time for a, for a change, but uh, he certainly had a solid season last time out. That's been another controversial move from United, bringing in Anana. He was outstanding for Inter Milan last season, but it just hasn't worked for him in the Prem. So, yeah, David De Gea is one of the best shot stoppers that the Premier League has ever seen, pure and simple. His record suggests that. So it would make sense for uh, Newcastle United to bring in some reinforcements, but they've got a pretty strong replacement in, uh, in Dubrovka for now. Great result for Spurs at City on uh, Monday morning, our time. Um, how important was that for Ange Postacoglu? I mean, when in the first half, they were lucky. I mean, they could have been... City could have mm. scored four or five, but he did change things up a bit at halftime. Game of a rollicking. Brought on uh, Hoybier. is a bit more defensively minded... How important was that second-half performance for, for Ange? An enormous result because it just helped settle everything down and stabilise everything. There was no panic, as you know, Jules, being a Tottenham fan. There was no panic amongst the, the Spurs supporters or the players. Everyone at the club was calm. They knew a, a moment like this was coming where they would have an injury run that uh, hurts them a little bit in terms of their quality in the first 11, and the results would start to dip. So... They were in that period, and then you've got a game against City away, and you think, all right, well, you know, there's a loss coming up, and uh, we'll just have to try and get through it. To come up with a point in that fixture, considering the, the dip in form, it's just massive for Ange to settle everything down and to, uh, to have a little bite back, not that he would care, at some of the critics who mm. were waiting for this moment, waiting for Spurs to drop off. And he did it once again, Jules, playing his way. 
know, people are saying you can't do that week in, week out in the Premier League. We all know Andrew's not going to change. Mm. And they didn't change. They kept going at City. They kept attacking. The players love that. The fans love that. And it prevailed in this fixture to, uh, to get a point away to the treble winners. So very big moments for him. And I think that'll give everyone at Spurs a lift. But they've got a very tricky fixture again this weekend against West Ham. They do. And then, Newca- the yeah, and New- and then Newcastle on the weekend, two clubs that are, that are injury hit. So just with the title race, I was going to ask you before the game this morning, I was going to say, have Arsenal maybe got their noses in front because they're, they're defending better than Manchester City and Liverpool, who have probably got more goals in them, but Arsenal have been great at the back. But then you see this morning they leak three at Luton and the goalkeeping issue raises its head again. Who have you got your favourite for the title right now? No Arsenal five points clear, but we've got a long way to go. Who, do you think is City still the team to beat or is it just a toss of the coin between the top three right now? Still favour City just because we've seen with them so many times that they storm home. And the reason why they storm home is because they are able to rotate so much for the first three quarters of the season, that they're just fresher. We saw it last season against Arsenal in that two-horse race. They just pulled away hugely at the end. You know, It's like a 1,500-metre race, and the last 300 metres is just not even a contest. You know, the, the one runner just leaves the other one in their wake. And they're able to do that because they can keep players fresh. And we sit there in the first half of the season going, why are they rotating so much? Why are they giving this bloke a rest? Is there a need for that? You know, if they drop points here, it comes to fruition, that tactic, in the final part of the season when everyone is energetic. And you look at other teams who are forced to play their best 11 with more regularity, start to look a little bit more fatigued. That being said, Arsenal will be so much better for the run of last season, having been through it. This Liverpool squad, the majority of them, have been through it as well. Liverpool don't have Champions League football. Manchester City and Arsenal will have big knockout fixtures in the second half of the season. Liverpool have the Europa League, but we all know um, quality-wise and mental, from a mental point of view, it's just not as taxing. So they can get through that a little bit easier. I think it's going to be really close. I can really see a three-horse race going down to the final month at the very least because I think Liverpool and Arsenal are better conditioned to stick with City now but I do still give the edge only slightly to Pep Guardiola's side. A bit stiff the other day, that uh, non-advantage call, which uh, seen them actually being charged with bringing the game in disrepute after yeah. the players surrounded the referee. Is there any possible explanation why that was called back? I don't know. It just seemed like a blunder. It was an obvious advantage to be given, and they were through on goals. So Erling Haaland's lost his rag can understand why he needs to deal with those situations a lot better. I just think it's a blunder from the referee, and that happens. Got a big Villa fan on the 40 Wings temper here. He wants to know, can they push for the title or at least hang on for a Champions League place? I think they can. I think that fourth spot in the Champions League is wide mm. open. You know, City, Arsenal, Liverpool, you can lock away. But then, you know, I still think Newcastle will be the most likely team to occupy it, but you know, they've also got Champions League games to deal with or Europa League games potentially if they miss out on, the, on progression in the second half of the season. But they haven't been through that as a group under Eddie Howe. So, you know, it's not a guarantee. We know Tottenham are likely to be up there. And Villa are just going about their business beautifully. And they've got the two crucial ingredients in order to achieve something special. A, a top-class manager. Unai Emery is fantastic. I think he came into Arsenal at the wrong time. He came in just after Arsene Wenger. If he'd come in now, not that Arsenal would want to swap Mikel Arteta, of course, because he's doing a fantastic job, but I think it would be a very different story at the Guns. 
So they've got a top-class manager who, with all due respect to Villa, has operated at a level slightly above that. Mm. And a lot of people are saying if United get rid of Ten Hag, he is the most obvious manager for them to, uh, to target. Not saying he would leave, though. And they've got a top-class striker in Ollie Watkins. You know, a guy who's a genuine 20-goal-a-season Premier League striker. They keep him fit with the manager they've got and the other quality around them. They've got a deeper squad than people give them credit for. They can most certainly stay in that race for the top four and at the very least be in the Europa League again. Yeah, he's doing a great job, as you say, Unai Emery at Villa. Uh, A-League, you had it all Saturday night. Perth Glory in Sydney, up there in Sydney. That was a, that was a strange old night at the office. Yeah, the lightning delay meant that uh, play was delayed for about an hour and a half. And, uh, yeah, when you're doing the sideline, you think, all right, well, now we've got to try find a way to fill for an hour or so. Let's just speak to anyone we can. And we literally did. We found folks <laughs> folks from Texas, which was bizarre, a guy named Will, who is just a massive Sydney FC fan. And there was a very fun interview to do. I was roaming around, and one of the Sydney FC supporters literally said to me, this bloke's from America, and he's nuts about Sydney FC, interviewing while we're all waiting. And I said... Well, that's an idea. He went to a game last year, fell in love with uh, the Sky Blues and the A-League, wakes up at all hours of the morning to watch them and came over for uh, a few weeks in order to watch them live. And his first game gets delayed by an hour and a half because of uh, a lightning <laughs> delay. So how's the luck for the big man? But he saw a Sydney FC win in the end. And yeah, they're moving up the table in the right direction as a Melbourne City, of course, after slow starts. And uh, with a couple of surprise packets up the top, the likes of Wellington, the Brisbane Roar and MacArthur. Yeah. Blooming is a pretty exciting start to the season. Yeah, an incredible game with MacArthur and Adelaide the other night. Uh, just before I let you go, it's uh, victory versus the Western Sydney Wanderers uh, this week. Four consecutive draws for Melbourne victory. Just on Marco Rodan, though, is um, offers from Japan. Do we think he might be on the move at some stage? Perhaps at some stage, but I think he's pretty fixated on trying to, uh, to win something with Western Sydney. He's just a perfect fit for that club. Uh, he's a Western Sydney product and he, and he gets the culture and he, he likes to play the us against them mentality and uh, that works for his football club. It galvanises the fans and uh, on the pitch, they're heading in the right direction. They're a genuine title contender. Looking forward to the game of the weekend. Always enjoy seeing Tony Popovich play against uh, mm. the Wanderers. That is uh, always something to look out for and uh, there's still a bit of feeling there, no doubt, between those two and it should be a beauty. Mark Rodan, I could see him managing abroad at some stage but uh, not sure if it'll happen quite yes in the immediate future. Now, before I let you go, I know you love your football, but you love your golf. I saw you out there at the Australian, I think, on Monday. How'd you hit them? <laughs> hit them pretty well. Yeah, we were lucky. I got into the, uh, the media draw, so we got invited, uh, as is customary at golf tournaments, the media gets to play the course the day after the tournament, nice. and, and that was awesome. I mean, that place is just looking immaculate. I spoke to Robert McIntyre's caddy, Robert McIntyre, the Scotsman, who said it's the best condition course he's ever played. And I hit up his caddy while we're walking between holes on one of the days. And I said, did he really mean that? Like, is it better than Augusta? And he said, I'm telling you right now, Augusta's incredible. But the little patches there that perhaps aren't quite as perfect as you see on TV, (laughs) he said, the Australian, perfect all over. Best condition course we've ever played. So big tick for Australian golf. It was an awesome tournament. The field... The crowds were just Huge. massive draw. Yeah. The atmosphere was fantastic. Min Woo Lee lit up the crowd and then uh, Joachim Neiman stormed home, the Chilean star in the, uh, the last round to win it. And uh, it was just a fantastic four days of golf. And I just wish we had more tournaments of that nature in Australia because we have so much to offer the golfing world and the Australian Open proved that again across the weekend. How well are we going when that is the 38th rated golf course in Australia, the Australian? Yeah. Number 38. 
and it's brilliant. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's a great course. Look, there are other courses I think in Sydney that, that are better, but the actual club and the presentation mm. and the facilities. I mean, you just can't beat it. You know, that, that was Kerry Packer's course. So that sums it up. He put plenty of money into that place, of course. So, <laughs> But uh, the actual course, yeah, we're, we're spoiled for choice in this country. And obviously, you know, that best in, in Melbourne and across the Mornington Peninsula, there are so many wonderful places to play. And, uh, yeah, I just wish we had more tournaments and we had an opportunity for uh, the best in the world to come here more often because they would love it. They do love it when they come. But, uh yeah, we know a lot about the golfing landscape and why that's not the case, but uh, it should be. There should be, you know, four massive tournaments a year in Australia at least. Yeah, 100%. I think every golf fan would agree. Garby, as always, uh, thanks for your time. We love uh, midweek English Premier League football, and we've got a feast of it uh, this week and another round on the weekend. And A-League, W-League, Matildas, it doesn't stop. Good stuff, Jules. Thanks, mate. Daniel Garb, always a pleasure to have him on the show, and you'll hear him across uh, SEN uh, over the summer as well. Uh, running a bit late, let's get to the newsroom with Nathan Gardner. It's developing, heating up to 30, and BBL 13 starts tomorrow night, and you'll hear every game live on your home of cricket, SEN. Thank you very much, uh, Nathan. Uh, Melbourne's weather today, beautiful. Currently 19 degrees, partly cloudy, top of 21 for City Power, supplying power to homes in the CBD and inner suburbs. Now, we know in the World Cup, uh, the Matildas took on England in the semi-final. There'll be no rematch at the Olympics next year. Team Great Britain have missed out on the Olympics. So they defeated Scotland 6-0, which put them ahead on goal difference of the Netherlands. They scored two late goals to beat Belgium 4-0, and they've knocked Team GB out. So we'll not be at the Olympics next year, Team GB women's football team. Uh, thanks for letting us know that one. Greg off the 40 Winks tip. But now on breakfast this morning, Aaron Sipos was a special guest with Sam Edmund and Simon O'Donnell. So what a year he's had. Played in the Super Bowl with the Philadelphia Eagles. One bad punt has essentially cost him his job. He's now back in Australia and has signed as a development coach with the Hawks, but um, Sammy, we'll just start a bit of audio here. Sammy had been asking him about um, whether he knew at the time that one bad punt might be very, very costly. In the aftermath of that, did you think or fear or suspect that might have been enough to have you in a little bit of trouble? Or were you as surprised as anyone when it appeared as though you had a real fight on your hands to maintain your spot on that roster? No, I'm well aware of the, the situation. and. Right. Um, you know that 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 day, obviously, uh, that particular moment is, is something that you know I have to deal with, and um, you know, obviously, I, I can't take back. I have to move on and deal with. But you know, certainly after that moment, you're uh, well aware that um, you know there might be changes being made, or there might be a competition coming in to to compete with you, and that's exactly what happened. I had somebody coming in and compete with me, um, you know, and I, I, I worked on a few things and obviously got a lot more healthier after, after the injury that occurred and um, got myself back to where I thought I, I was a hundred percent. And um, I had a really good, I had a really good training camp and, and things like that. And, you know, won that competition. So that's all the, that's all I could kind of focus on in that moment was to beat the guy that was coming in to take my job. Um, and, and I did that at, at that stage and, um, you know, I started to obviously feel a little bit better about the whole situation. And then obviously playing those couple of games earlier this year, you you start to feel like you're getting more into a rhythm again and, and feeling like you're getting back to your old self and mm. um, something drastically changes. So um, I, that that's unfortunately the, the part of the business. Um, again, not something that's in my control. I just have to go out there and 
try and make amends as best as I possibly can and show that I'm putting in the work to, to get better. And um, I felt like I, I did that. I, I truly believe that. And um, the rest is up to them on how they want to perceive it and, and what they want to do going forward. So, yeah, unfortunately, that's the part I can't control and you, you just have to deal with it. So he ended up getting the chop from the Philadelphia Eagles. Now, of course, he was delisted as a St Kilda footballer as well. So he's in a great position to compare what it's like being delisted at an AFL club and being told your services are no longer required at an NFL club. There's certainly not much of like a you know a conversation. Obviously, you know I've, you know I've been through both, unfortunately. But um, uh, you know I think from the AFL point of view, they obviously try and you know maybe work something out for you at a later stage, or you just you know you have a chat about um, things that are you know that you can work on and still you know why we made the decision and that. Whereas I go into into the door for uh, the the GM over over at the Eagles, and it's just basically say um, all the best. Uh, we're going to move with somebody else, and, and good luck. So yeah, um, yeah, probably one of the shortest meetings I've had uh, in my in my entire life. And then um, you know, obviously the the cleaning out of the locker process and that afterwards, obviously never fun. And um, yeah, it's kind of very very short and sharp, mm. and uh, very 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 much business like for sure. So no interaction with the coach at all then. No, nah, no interaction with the coaches. He's just he will he will pop in there and 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 right. say uh, you know go in there and show his face and that's about it and so wish you all the best. But it's the GMs all worked and yeah. they go in and tell you the moves that are being made. So um yeah, that's how it goes. And that's how it all ended for Aaron Sipos, but back in Australia. Good luck in his new role as a development coach at Hawthorne. Just an update from the Prime Minister's 11. If you're just joining us, Pakistan won the toss up at Manika and beautiful sunny conditions elected to bat. They're currently one for 40. Shafiq not out 21. The skipper, Shan Masood, not out nine. The only wicket to fall was Al Haq. Uh, bold Buckingham caught Jimmy Pearson. So one for 40. After the break here on mornings for Hyundai, the Hyundai 2023 SUV event is on now and Host Plus. We're going to get up to Cathedral. It's Midday Madness today. Not Dwayne Russell, not Sam Hargraves, not Cam Luke. It's Andrew Ma and Andrew Gaze. We'll speak to Andy Ma from Cathedral on the other side of the break. Mornings on SEN. Welcome back to the show. Well, there's nothing more than Andy Marr and Andrew Gaze like more than an OB and a trip together in the car. And they've done it again this morning. They're up at Cathedral for the 2023 Cathedral Invitational. Some decent scoring yesterday. Minus eight, Adam Scott. Minus seven, Cameron Smith. Minus six, Jeff Ogilvy. Gabby Ruffles, minus five. And they're going to take you through from 12 to three today. Hello, Andrew Marr. Hey, don't go sleeping on Jeffrey Guan either at six under the car. I know you like Jeffrey Guan. He's a Black Booker, Julio. I heard that Black Booker was good on the radio yesterday. Speaking of Black Bookers, Fergus O'Neill, special operator, all rounder. If, yeah, if you're not on, if you're not on the Fergus O'Neill bandwagon uh, to this point in your life, make sure you get on Quick Smart because that bandwagon is going to fill up very, very quickly. How quickly? How many people have you told about your hole in one since arriving? Well, it's look. I don't want to. It's not about me. Uh, it's about the SEN broadcast here today. It's a great team that we're part of here. But I will say this: two things of uh, no, <laughs> worth noting have happened. I reckon I've had fifty blokes come up to me and say, "Hey, hole in one was special, mate. Well done." Oh, is that right? And on the way in, Hawley, in fact, sixty now. <laughs> and on the way in, uh, we had to take a little deviation, not into the general car park, where to get a bit closer to the OB van, and we didn't have the appropriate accreditation. So I went down the window and I said to old mate. 
hey, listen, we're with the radio coverage. Uh, do you mind if we uh, get up closer to the clubhouse? And he goes, well, I know who you are, mate. Uh, of course, I don't know who, you, who the bloke in the other seat is. That is not true. But you can, you <laughs> that can is a bold-faced lie. Is that what he said? That is a lie. Whoa, 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 whoa. Did he say it? No, he, did, did, did he say it? He, yes, or, he, yeah, yes or no? Yes, but Thank it's you. completely it. out of context. Julio, that he is all, couldn't see me. Julio, no. you've got a lot of work to do, and we don't want to take up too much. Well, I think the it. captain might need to save his voice by the sound of it. What's happening, captain? Uh, just a warrior. I was able to power through, though. Just uh, got some uh, no, no, issues be with the billy goat. and um, But I'm, I'm powering through, and, and we'll get through another session today because it's a beautiful day out here. And uh, just anyone that's on in the car... Stop off about uh, 14 k's out. There's a little oh, servo. Sammy there. is the man behind the jump. And uh, if you want any sort of food, no, no. make sure you load up there, regardless, because the bugger all here. Don't fall. No food to Do be not consumed. fall. Do not fall for the sign at the front that says the maker of the world famous Guilford Burger or something. Well, nice. Got, well, you can't the find burger. one. You oh, didn't have a burger. No, there. didn't have a burger. But it, it was. How a, would you know it was nice? He had because he had good spirit. Oh, he he had some Panadol, he had some butter menthols, he had some Anticol. He got you a very nice coffee. Worst coffee And you're just had. ungrateful. Worst coffee I've ever had. But anyway, other than that, everything's good. Hey, boys, I, I, want to get, I want to get your thoughts on this. We've been asking today the Australian Sport Coach of the Year. Who would it be? So these are some of the nominations. Craig McRae, oh, Ivan Cleary, Tony Gustafsson, Darren Cale, Craig Stasevich, Andrew McDonald, Shelley Nitschke, Stacey Marinkovic, Adam Voges. Who would your vote go to? Oh, hang on. What well, about where, Ange? Where's Ange? And Ange, and Ange. I did not mention Ange. Ange is in there as well. No. You're a Tottenham supporter and you haven't mentioned Ange. No, no. Just, what are you doing? I don't know. Just He's in there. So he knows what to do with over in the other joint. Oh, excuse me. I'm going for I'm going. You have a cough button here too, by the way. Oh, I don't, can't find it. Yeah, well, Sergei, Sergei <laughs> Bubka will show you where that is. Um, it's pretty right, tough. I'm going to go with this. Cleary. Three in a row, that's very, very difficult to do. And playing in the number no, one rugby saying, league competition no, in saying, the world. I'm saying Andrew McDonald. Expectations on this Australian ah, team point. were uh, – well, they were mixed, let's be honest. And uh, he's gone overseas, ticked, he ticked all the boxes. Nah, very good point. Uh, I'm taking Andrew McDonald. I hate to, to say this, but our team. man fly might not make the top three. No, well, I think – if you're looking at a domestic type arrangement, uh, he's he's right up there. Well, it's all right across. Aussies playing their trade overseas, uh, coaching a national team or a domestic team. Well, what's your point? Nah, but, but, nah, well, I think greatest. Ivan Cleary's got him covered because three in a row That's is an it. amazing achievement. Andrew McDonald's probably correct. got him covered. And Darren Cale has made Yannick Sinner one of the best players in the world in 12 turn months. Nah, you're stretching turn your imagination. Well, what about yeah, Craig Starsvich? No, lost lost three lost guns, wins a premiership. You know, he should be well and truly in the mix. Adam Voges has won with the Scorchers, the WA Shield team, and the Marsh Cup. No, again, you just no, got no, to you're stretch so, your imagination yeah, no, you're, you're, again. You're, you're just, just looking for names. What about Ange then? No, I've got Ange in the mix. I would have thought that Ange would be on the podium well, there you for sure. Go. I mean, the man's, the man's all, doing something. They're all worthy, though. How he managed to get the 3 all result on the weekend, uh, that team is just refusing not to take the game on in the most high-pressure, high-intensity league mm. in the world. And against uh, Manchester City, he had his players believing that they could do anything. His ability to get in. And then you hear what uh, the bloke, who was the bloke they brought over, the good midfielder, James yeah, James Madison. He loves his team yeah, yeah, talks. Did you, mm. did you read what he said I about Poster Cobble the yes, other day? Yes, I did. Spectra- if you haven't found out what Madison had to say about Cogley, find it, I'm going to play the audio said, after the break. Now, what do you got coming up on Midday Madness? You call, you get on. Are we still oh, doing that at, from Cathedral? Well, 
My word, we are. I forgot about midday madness. That'll get us through a couple of hours. You call, you get on, folks. It's absolutely magnificent. That's right. We'll have to stop after one. The I man- forgot all about that. <laughs> you call, you get on. Anything you want. Oh, uh, I just know to down the tools. Just, just down the tools. <laughs> Don't worry about coming up with content. Not required. That's what, that's what Pipe's audience does. Uh, Dave Evans is going to... Or David Evans is The man. Oh, yes. To, to have a vision, mm. have the wherewithal to execute the vision, then execute the vision and then have it dished up in the sort of uh, uh, nick that it is dished up oh, in. Oh, with Andy. Truly. So this is, you know that line in... A uh, mountain field goat it, wouldn't be out of here. Oh, it's a, it's a, so you, all you do is see a couple of hills, and that's oh, it. You mate, never want to come here again. I've actually walked the course. Yeah, you haven't. looking for a pie. Uh, you should have seen him, Julio. There's a bacon and egg stall 111 <laughs> metres away from Friday's us. What is a temple? He said, no, no, I can't eat bacon and eggs uh, in a roll. So he's walked three and a half kilometres to find a meat pie. To walk because course. a meat pie is much better for you than an egg and oh, bacon. Wasn't, I had a chicken <laughs> You've lost your mind. burger. <laughs> a chicken burger. Well, I think, only, I think only one of the three of us in this conversation have played cathedral, so I thought I should be up there, to be honest. You didn't, you, walk it. you didn't walk and, it, though, he, did you? And he doesn't even own a set of golf clubs, so it's embarrassing. You would have been no, in no, a cart, though. No, no, cart, cart. Oh, it's a yeah. tough place to no, walk. No one walks it. No it's one walks very it. very tough. I just to bumped walk. into Gowie, uh, who's just teed off three about half an hour, about 20 minutes ago. going to make it? He'll make it. But they've got blokes carrying their bags. They're pros. But he said, no one walks here. I said, no, tough walk for you, Gary. And he said, no one walks here. So. Mm. Too hard. In- hey, boys, enjoy the show. Enjoy the ride back and be nice oh, to each other. And Gazy, just look after that voice, please. Nah, all good. All good. Thanks, good Julio. Man, all the Andy Ma, Andrew Gay's coming up. It's Midday Madness after 12. Mornings on SEN. He's got that bite yeah. that you need, yeah. He's a... Uh... You talk about having people in the palm in their hand. When he does meetings in the build-up to a game, match day minus one, even on the, the day of the game, you're zoned into his really, meeting. Yeah. I, 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 I've yeah. never seen a meeting like it, and I've worked under a good few managers now, and... Just his motivational speaking. Sometimes I don't even think he means to start it, and he just gets gets into it, and he don't blink really. And he genuinely makes me want to go and play for him and play well for him. You know, he has that he has that charisma, the way the way he talks, and the way he uses little stories, little messages, little analogies, little whatever he does, it, it works. When then we come out of a meeting and we go back to the change room, the bit he won't see, the lads are like, "That's a good one, wasn't it?" That was injured Spurs midfielder James Madison talking about Ange Postacoglu. Just a reminder to the Melbourne Mavericks are here. Super Netball, get your Mavs membership today. Head to melbournemavericks.com. Uh, just about out of time. Thanks for all your contributions on the show. Tomorrow we'll just announce our 3-2-1 of Australian Sporting Coaches of the Year. It's a tough list. We'll collate some of our texts and give you the answer on the show. Just a reminder, coming up, Midday Madness, not Dwayne, it's Andy Marr and Andrew Gaze from Cathedral. And then on the run home this afternoon, uh, 3 to 5.30, Cam Luke and David King will also bring you all the action from Cathedral. See you at 9 tomorrow.